You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. Ready to go. My voice is going to be a little lower today because I'm a little closer to people who can wake up while I secretly <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, we are back. It's just me and Todd this week. Uh, Will had some things come up. Um, I believe it was a uh, hot dog eating contest, but you had to chew... Yes. With your uh, butt cheeks, so it's a very strange. Yes, one. Uh, you know I haven't. That's a new rule. Yeah. Uh, I think it started over in Japan and like yeah. I think last year, the year yeah. before. Yeah, you don't actually eat down there. You just you just mush them up down there, and then you have to eat. <laughs> yeah, them. it's uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's a little hardcore, if you ask me. It's a weird form, uh, weird form of uh, mastication, if you yeah, ask me. It is. I just hope you know everybody was pretty sanitary during these times. It's. Pretty, well, pretty, I certainly yeah. hope that they uh, <laughs> they did their enema before yeah. before they got into that. I hope so too. Jesus Christ! Right. You're off to off to the fucking races already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. So we are, like I say, we are back. And this week we got uh, a couple fun ones. Uh, it was Todd and I turned the program, so Todd selected uh, Nathan Hayes from 1983, yep. directed by Ferdinand Fairfax. Mm-hmm. And uh, I selected The Climber from 1975, directed by Pasquale Squitieri, uh, <laughs> which is a fun name to say. Yeah, it is. Uh, and that's got little Joe D'Alessandro in it. And that's an Arrow release. Wanted to get back to mm-hmm. get a couple more of the uh, Arrow releases. We got quite a few. I got quite. I got hundreds of them sitting around, uh, honestly. Uh, so... Uh, this should be a fun one to kind of talk about. We got pirates and we got gangsters. I mean, where can you go wrong there, right? Uh, it's not possible to. It really isn't. I mean, you know, you're talking about two of the uh, most popular genres probably in all of cinema. Well, mm. maybe not pirates, maybe not anymore. But, I mean, at one point, pirates were pretty popular. Oh, yeah. Swashbucklers. 
that's not a genre, it's not a genre we cover much, so it'll be fun to talk about that one. All right, not really much else to talk about. We hope everybody had a good week. Hope everybody's staying safe. Let's get into what we've been watching. Todd, what have you been up to? A uh, couple of things. Uh, let's see here. I caught the Nightingale uh, 2018 from uh, Jennifer Kent, I believe, the lady who did, uh, yeah, Jennifer Kent, yeah. the lady who did Babadook. Babadook. Uh, and uh, this thing is, uh, wow, extraordinarily fucking rough. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a, I mean, bit of a rape revenge thing, ain't it? Yeah, it, uh, dude, there's not... Uh, there's nothing pleasant in this entire movie. Yeah, that's like, what I've heard. Nothing. That's what I've heard. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it really, man, it, it goes for it 100%. Um, and it also does a couple of things. Well, number one, I, I, I do think that it's really too long. I think it uh, stretches itself thin by the ending. Um, and it also really subverts, uh, what it sets out for, um, although it's still satisfied. So it's a lot like the Babadook in a, in a few ways, uh, far from perfect, but, uh, certainly worth a watch and very well made. Uh, so I would, uh, give it a recommend, uh, just on those, uh, bases. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to check it out. I was kind of lukewarm on the Babadook. I like some it, things about it. Me too. I like some things about it, but I didn't love it. No. Uh, so no, I wasn't, I, this wasn't on my radar as much, but there's been a couple of critics that have said, you know, check it out. And grim is the word I hear often. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, like, dude, like I said, I mean, if you want like almost two and a half hours of misery uh, and ugliness and, you know, just rawness, then this is the movie for you. Because, <laughs> uh, man, there is. Uh, it's just it's nasty yeah um so yeah but no i'd be really interested to hear your your thoughts on it yeah the todd we, uh, behind the scenes we should say todd reached out to me and said you know sammy this might be up your alley <laughs> oh it's definitely yeah yeah i definitely think this is in your uh, your wheelhouse yeah <laughs> um so moved on from that uh to disturbing the peace 2020 starring mr guy pierce um and uh, this was—it's eh, pretty middle of the road. Uh, it very much looks like it was shot on video. Um, it does have some nice little practical effects, and you know Pierce is Pierce, so I'm always willing to give him uh, a little bit of leeway. Uh, but everything about it is uh, is fairly standard. Uh, the bad guys are you know you know cartoon sort of biker bad guys. Um, and there's some women in there who I'm assuming are pro-am wrestlers or something because uh, they look it and they uh, they have certain skills uh, that they put in use throughout the movie. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean it, it's pretty middle of the road. I mean, it's it's okay if you're looking to to waste time uh, an hour and a half and just have a, a middle of the road sort of action movie. Um, but that's about it. Uh, I I have no idea how they got uh, how they got Guy Pearce to be in this, uh, but they did. Uh, so he made it. Uh, went from that to another fairly middle of the road uh, 
movie, 21 Bridges, uh, starring Chadwick Boseman and Sienna Miller. And, um, yeah, it's a cop thriller. Uh, there's really not a hell of a lot else to, uh, to say about it. It follows the beats. Uh, you could tell what the hell's going on from the beginning. You know what the hell's going to go on at the end. Uh, the only real um, difference in this one is that the Bozeman character is a, a bit of an unrepentant hard ass. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I kind of like that about it. Um, other than that, though, I mean, yeah, everything in here just follows the ABC, you know, Mad Libs, uh, fill in the adjective or what or noun or pronoun fucking uh rule book um going through its little its little plot uh does 21 bridges mean is that like the amount of bridges in new york or something yeah because they they get the they get the perpetrators of this crime uh they know well they suspect where they are so they're like okay cut it off and give us until the morning to catch these guys okay All right. and but that but even that isn't it's not really a, a device that's that's really put any uh, emphasis on or you know is really played with at all uh, aside from to use as a, a title uh, which I found kind of odd but you know hey whatever uh, and yeah but Sienna Miller's wasted in this thing um, and uh, oh, what's his face uh, J.K. Simmons is in here uh, so that's nice Keith David shows up really briefly so that's always nice yeah uh, and Taylor Kitsch got a, a paycheck, so hey, good, for Kitch. <laughs> good for him. Good for him. Good for Gambit. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Uh, do, do, do. I finished off the the specialized Star Wars trilogy with Return of the Jedi, and it's the weakest of the three, and still better than everything that came after. So uh, there you have it. Um, yep. Yeah, true, true that's statement. the way I feel about it. That's the way I feel. Yeah, it's a true statement. Uh, that's why. And I understand Ewoks suck, but you know, <laughs> Jar Jar Binks sucks harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I have fun with this one. I remember vividly uh, seeing this in the in the theater when it came out. Um, and only what a year before Terminator. So crazy. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, his Return of the Jedi. Uh, I still uh, still am very fond of it, uh, but it's also yeah, it's still got uh, a lot of stuff in there that's kind of a, a bit cringy. What are you gonna do? Uh, there you have it. Uh, did a watch of Werner Herzog's. I busted open the Werner Herzog set, uh, set from um, uh, Shout Factory. Yeah, and. Finally, I uh, busted that fucker open and watched Even Dwarfs Started Small. Yeah, nice. And oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a that's an esoteric film. Uh, that's a one way of saying it. Yeah, uh, it is as Herzogian as you could get. Um, it really is. Yeah, oh, Jesus. Every time I think of that movie, I think of uh, a car going in circles. Yep. Because you see a lot of that, um, man. This thing is fucking weird. It's just right from the beginning, and then you know, just to hear the uh, the voices, of the the little people. Uh, I don't know what the hell are we calling them now? Little people, uh, yeah, midgets. I, uh, do we call them? I, I don't know. We don't call them uh, midgets. That's uh, yeah. We don't call them midgets. I don't think we do. I think they're called little okay. people. Call them little people. Okay. Well, uh, got it. 
Um, I don't know yeah, just how that's better than the other word, but whatever. I, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> six one. Um, the, yeah, the, just hearing their voices and that that constant laughing uh, that they do throughout the entire movie is just I mean, it's disturbing. Uh, and then it's just you know watching what is starts off uh, as anarchistic descend into absolute chaos uh, is really kind of interesting. And I was kind of surprised that um, it's as long as it is, too, because, I mean, you would think this thing might have been a little bit shorter because uh, you do feel by the end that you're just like, holy hell, uh, we went through a lot. And there's also some some um, some animal scenes that uh, some people may object to. Yes. Uh, so, you know, for those of you of a squeamish nature when it comes to animals, uh, you may want to skip over this one. Yep. Um, a little sensitive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's not like uh, Cannibal Holocaust levels, but it's you know it's there. It's, it's there. definitely there. Yeah. It's definitely real. It definitely makes you feel a little off. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To, to uh, go with the rest of the movie, which makes you feel a little off. <laughs> well, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just, oh, Jesus. It's like, uh, you know what it is. It's it's one of those weird kind of like it's it's like nightmare cinema. It's it's like one of these a lot. It's not a horror movie, really, but it's yeah. horrific. Well, it takes you—it takes you a little bit to realize that this entire world is populated with little people. Like, it's not like they're just—they're little people who are in this asylum or whatever, for whatever reason. And there's, you know, like normal-sized pe- people lording it over them. No, everybody in the movie is a, a little person. So, it's just one of those things that stands out. Um, I mean, in a movie where a lot of things stand out yeah, and it's, you know, it's another one it's filled with the, not quite to the level of the nightingale, although to a much more, um, bizarre effect, uh, filled with, the um, levels of cruelty and, you know, seemingly for, for no reason other than that they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, do these things uh, and get away with them. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's the guy. There's the single guy trying to uh, maintain order in all of this and failing miserably. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a hell of a way to kick off a box set. Uh, <laughs> but I got this one out of the way, so <laughs> yeah. there it's we fun- go. It's funny you bring that up. I, I have that box set as well, and I cracked that open. It's been a year or so ago, and started working through that too. And uh i i'd seen that film before but i revisited it and uh yeah it's 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 something some of those <laughs> early herzog films are you know they're very transgressive and 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 uh, yeah. yeah yeah you know he kind of established himself as that kind of early and then uh most of his stuff is kind of transgressive even his documentary work in a way but it's it's just yeah. there's a rawness yeah. to him that i think you know, I appreciate, but now that I know you got that box set open, we might we might have some Herzog in our future. Oh, yeah. Oh no, let's go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, I'd be down for that. Um, so I, I I'm kind of surprised that how little of his filmography I've actually seen. But what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, well, he's got a lot. Then, There's a yeah, lot. Yeah, he does. He does really. He's really just kind of it just it's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, this stuff. Yeah. Um. He just seems like the kind of guy who just, you know, he gets an idea and just goes with it. 
Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And then, you know, he makes either Well, a, he's yeah, he's he's obsessive compulsive in that way. Yeah. Seems like he makes like a, either a, a 10-minute film or he makes a full hour and a half film. You just never know. Yeah. And he doesn't give a shit one way or the other. He's like this is the film that I made this year. You yeah. can take it or leave it. Yes, that's right. Um That's right. It's true. Uh, I love that guy. I do. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, I did a, uh, a rewatch of uh, Batman Dark Knight Returns, uh, the uh, Warner Brothers animated uh, two-part picture there. And yeah, I mean, this is still easily uh, one of the best, if not the best, adaptation. Uh, and possibly one of the best, if not the best, Batman movies uh, out there. Um, and it, it also uh, proves yet again... My statement that uh, the best DC animated stuff is the stuff that is based on really good uh, graphic novel work to mm -hmm. begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, this thing is really good. I mean, you could you could see where they, I mean, obviously haven't read the book many times. Uh, you can easily see where, uh, where they expanded stuff uh, for whatever reason. Um and it's, it it doesn't really hurt anything uh when they do that it just is is noticeable yeah. uh for its uh, the way that it veers away uh but uh, yeah i mean this thing is great peter weller's great um everybody all the voice workers are really goodness the animation's great uh and the story is just i mean it's fantastic uh it's legendary for a reason yeah um i don't know if there'll ever be another comic book story that changed the perception of a comic book character more than that uh man, I. I mean, never is, say never, but I mean, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The influence of that thing is still being felt. Yeah, well, it also it also kind of happened in a vacuum, mm -hmm. uh, where, I mean, there's so little attention paid to the printed comics these days that I don't know that anybody would give a shit at this point. Yeah. Uh, if they did well. have something like this, I mean, because if you look at something like. Uh, like the current uh, books, there's Immortal Hulk that's going on, which is out fucking standing uh, a series, uh, and is doing a really interesting things with the with the Hulk and all the his characters, turning it basically into like this uh, existential horror uh, story, mm -hmm. um, which is just I mean, it's it's the best thing the Marvel's printing as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, I mean stuff like this. You, it, it's it really is once in a lifetime, once in a generation. Uh, and this was it. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, who else are you gonna? What else? Who else could you possibly change? I mean, yeah. well, I, uh, All Star Superman came close uh, with doing something yeah. different. Um, what Alan Moore did with uh, with Swamp Thing was. Uh, was close, but then again, I mean, Swamp Thing's a very minor character. I think that's uh, what, all things. Be I think that's one of the reasons why I've always been more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. Is that DC in the '80s was really because they were struggling against Marvel. They really kind of rolled the dice on some things. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. And uh, you know, I, and I realized that again just recently. I've went back, and uh, you know, Denny O'Neill passed away not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I went back and I've been reading the uh, 86, 87 run of uh, The Question. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. And, the uh, Dennis Cowan. Yeah, yeah. that's very Batman-centric and very, mm -hmm. very Batman-heavy in a lot of ways. But 
it's again a reminder that they've really just at the time they were just you know like let's just do this let's just do it <laughs> yep yeah that the the green arrow at the time yeah uh with grell um yeah they had some uh some interesting stuff obviously sandman uh all of that and it just hit me at a Hellblazer. pivotal time. You know, we're the same age, so it just hit me at a pivotal time. Like, you know, I was early sure. teens. It was just the right time for the right kind of attitude for comic book characters for me. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, look what uh, Grant Morrison did with uh, Animal Man. Yeah. Back then. It would have been around the same time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that run. Oh, yeah. That's really good. Yep. And, of course, uh, you know, like I said, Alan Moore's in there and... And, and, you know, I think Denny O'Neill gets overlooked because he was a comic book guy forever. But, uh, yeah, he's a, you know, he's a really good uh, hard-boiled crime writer uh, yep. when it comes yeah. down to it. He was really good. And some of his Batman stuff in the 80s was fantastic. Nobody, if nobody has read it, well, then they go and check it out. He he also brought the character back from the whole uh, campy 1960s thing, too, mm-hmm. with uh, Neil Adams, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, around like 70-ish. Yep. 70 little laughter. I love that Neil Adams stuff. I got that omnibus sitting right next to my bed, actually, right? And I'm looking Do right you? at it. Yeah. Nice. I got that Neil Adams stuff. Yeah. <laughs> my, I haven't read too much of that, to be perfectly honest. One but. of my favorite Batman uh, drawer, uh, drawers. Drawers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Pencil stickers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, all right. He's something else. Dude, reading interviews with Neil Adams is like, it's bizarre. Uh, it's think, almost Yodorowsky and Yeah, I think he's reached a point in his age where he's like, I don't give a fuck. I know I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. my time is limited. <laughs> and he just says whatever the hell's on his mind. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> something but he just, yeah, the tangents that he that he goes on are just uh, bizarre sometimes when you're reading uh, when you read those. Um. But uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's all that I got. Yep. All right, I watched a few things. Uh, we got done podcasting Sunday, and I had some time to kill before the children got up and things got to get breakfast going, all that good stuff. So I watched uh, Boiled Angels: The Trial of Mike Diana. Going back to comics, hmm. uh, Mike Diana was a independent kind of zine comic book artist in Florida, I believe. Um, I think he's the only. Uh, comic book artist to ever be tried for obscenity and convicted in the United States. Um, his stuff's pretty hardcore. Um, I've never seen any of his work. I no, don't think. Uh, I don't think I have. It's very independent. It's not. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely not Neil Adams <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Frank Miller or any of that kind of stuff. It's definitely very independent, and uh, there's a lot of uh, child abuse and. Uh, child sexual abuse and just it's it's really transgressive and ugly stuff um okay. but the the key is i mean it's not for entertainment it's it's for horrific purposes but the the key is again it comes down to that thing whether you agree with it or not you know it's 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 an amendment thing it's a freedom mm-hmm. of speech thing mm-hmm. and it's something that personally i'm a big proponent of uh, just because uh, you know I, I wouldn't read this stuff even yeah. at a young age i wouldn't have read it uh, would I have shown it to somebody as shock? Yeah, mm. at a young age, I probably would have done that. But as an older at man... At a young age, yeah. Yeah. As an older man, I would even pursue it. But I still think, you know, you have the right to publish it or to at least create it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I 100% agree. Uh, I am a huge, huge uh, First Amendment guy. Um, I think that there's pretty much, you know, almost nothing out off limits as far as what you should be able to say or draw yeah. uh, or read or listen to. Um, or watch. I mean, there, there, yeah, there's, there's very little uh, that falls uh, into the uh, the category of yeah, no, that's too much. Yeah, uh, that's too far. No. Uh, but even still, um, yeah, I get, uh, I tend to get my dander up yeah. um, whenever, whenever <laughs> I see that that sort of thing getting stepped on, yeah. uh, which seems to be, unfortunately, I mean, it seems to be more now, um, or at least in the, uh, I should say, in the, in the culture more than it is in any sort of legal sense yeah uh although unfortunately it also seems like uh the legal system is taking its cues from that more and more uh these days which i find kind of bone chilling but yeah. you know yeah i mean it's, it's pretty scary stuff and oh it is it is me, when when uh, when they can get you just for saying the something that you don't even consider to be off base but somebody somewhere goes like i don't like that you know, this that and the other thing and then next thing you know you have no job you have no house you have no you know they're slapping cuffs on you you're yeah. all kinds of shit and you know it, it, people people may mock and say that'll never happen but yeah it's when you see it happen once or twice and you're just like you know i'll say this it I'll only s- takes once it only yeah. takes one domino for the whole fucking thing to go down i'll say this you know the culture we live in right now there's a lot of people who might think they support the first amendment mm-hmm. and think they support certain things and uh mm-hmm. if they stop and look at themselves they're actually turning into the people that they probably once rallied against i 100 percent agree a hundred percent but the uh the truth is you know creating things for entertainment purposes uh to work through things in art should be something we should always be allowed to do don't get me wrong when i say you know these things it doesn't mean you should have you know, this really affecting people. But, you know, if you want to draw, you know, priest doing terrible things, uh, yeah. that's, uh, you know, that's, you're just, it's, you're just a comment on society. You're not doing anything off the wall. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Words yeah. are not, words are not actions yeah. per se. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I always go back to, uh, the, uh, the, the saying, you know, I, don't like well i'm paraphrasing obviously i don't like what you're saying but i will defend to the death you're right to say it i 100 percent agree with that yep. uh i don't have to like what you're saying uh you don't have to like what i'm saying but there's there's no but you have every right you don't, to say you don't get to tell me you don't get to tell me yeah. what i can and cannot say that's right it doesn't work that way that's right i agree with you don't like completely. it you know what I got a couple of things that you can kiss. Well, there's also the this is the sheer fact. Here's here, here's what it comes down to. If you don't like it, then just don't 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 listen to it. Just don't buy yeah, it. Yeah, just don't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you to be a crusader for the American people or for every child that's born. Thank you. Well, it's always it's always <laughs> funny when you when you say that sort of thing and and the sort of people who who are the ones who you know would be the the ones kicking dirt kicking up dust on that sort of thing. Uh, when when they say, well, you don't have to watch it, uh, then it's okay. But, you know, if you say that, well, you don't have to watch it, then it's, you know, you're a bad person. Yeah, why should you he, don't have, you know. it shouldn't even be made. Yeah, it it, be that's yeah, exactly right. What if a child sees that? 
Yeah, what if? Right. Maybe he'll Who's think. Fucking fault? Whose fucking fault was that? Yeah, not only that, but maybe he'll think. Maybe that'll turn maybe. him into the next Martin Scorsese. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for asthma, we wouldn't have Scorsese films. So there you go. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that is true. It's, it's very true. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it's good if you like. Uh, it's a uh, also I should say it's directed by Frank Hennenlotter. So. Oh, okay. Um, nice. I knew about good it. Him. Yeah, I've known about it for some time, but it hasn't been available. It's been done for a couple of years, but really just hasn't been available because Hennenlotter stuff is also very transgressive, and uh, he'd mm. be somebody now. I think if he made films now, I think Hennenlotter would be shunned quite a bit because uh, his films are so overtly sexual and disgusting and politically incorrect in some ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh we kind of talked about that i think when we did brain damage but he uh he uh he just kind of looks at this for what it is which is the right to you know the right to create and uh that's something that all artists should uh and that, that's what this country's founded on you know, you know mm-hmm. so we should take pride in that um, there's very, very few things I get super patriotic about more so than, uh, the first amendment. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, freedom in general, uh, yeah. liberty in general. I, yeah. I got, you know, I, I get, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's important for a reason. And you know, it's, <laughs> yep. it, it, if you, if you got a fucking problem with it, man, you're in the wrong place. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. I watched a couple things. I watched another thing this week. We'll get to about freedom of speech as well. So. I don't know. I guess I was on a tear. Man, you're on a kick. Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm out there Look picking. At you. I'm picketing. <laughs> I'm not drawing. Mr. Patriot, you. Yeah. Uh, I checked out The Rental. This is directed by Dave Franco, the other Franco brother. Uh, okay. This is a, kind of a new horror thing. Uh, the trailer intrigued me. I saw the trailer. Wait, I'm sorry. Go, go back. Uh, the Mike Diana thing. Where did you Where did you catch that? That's on Amazon Prime. You can check it out. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's not the most well-made documentary you'll ever see. There's a lot of animation in it and stuff, but oh, okay. It is very hen and lotter. Uh, uh, and you'll know what I mean. Like within ten minutes, <laughs> the, the sense of humor is dark. <laughs> you'll catch yourself going, "Yikes!" But uh, you know, you'll you'll see what I mean. Uh, so. It's very punk rock, very, very like I say, very Forty Second Street, very Frank Hinnelotter. It's uh, no doubt about it that you know it's him almost immediately. Yeah, and yeah, it does. Yeah. It doesn't okay. shy away from some truly graphic stuff either. So be prepared. Of course, you don't have anything to worry about with other, you know, but unless Bear is sensitive, you don't have nothing to worry about. <laughs> nah, not really. <laughs> yeah, he yeah he gets a little <laughs> you know. You turn around. You know how he turn around and look at you and go like, yeah, you know, this stuff's not right. Yeah, he'll stop licking his asshole for 10 seconds to... We'll have to cancel this guy. <laughs> yeah, we're starting a campaign. Um, yeah, The Rental, anyway. Uh, this is a newer horror film uh, directed by Dave Franco, who is uh, James Franco's little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess he's uh, directing films now. This is pretty well made, uh, a little independent movie. Uh, it's got some good actors in it. It's got the guy from The Guest. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, who I thought would be a little bit bigger of a star by now, but he's not. He's just kind of doing these like independent films. It's got Allison Brie in it again, the community actress. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other folks. Um, it's basically couples, couple couples, couple couples. Uh, go, they rent a place. There's some peeping tom action. Uh, things escalate. 
the problem with this movie is, is that when things escalate, things fall apart. It's one of those kind of movies where okay. logic begets the film starting to fall apart. And if you start to really think about it, yeah, what's happening leaves a massive trail and wouldn't be hard to figure out. So anyway, it, it, it just... But it, I, I got to tell you, there's some really strong visual, 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 visual cues in the film, and I was pretty impressed with that actually. And, and Franco's got a, he's got a pretty deft eye. I mean, I think uh, you could see some pretty good films out of this kid. Hmm. Cool. Uh, but it looks really nice, like I said, and, and and really, it's 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 just one of those horror movies where the the front half's really pretty solid, and and the payoff's solid in its own way. It just I don't know. It just kind of, it doesn't fit the movie in some ways too. Is it one of those things where you can't help but be a little bit logical about it? Like you're, yeah, that's the, that's it, it almost the like too. pokes you in the head to be well, logical about it, even though you're trying not to be. And I try Yeah. So here's the thing with me when it comes to horror films or pretty much any film, because I live in a world of, you know, horror films are my first love and, you know, sci-fi films and fantasy films and stuff. So logic is not something I really care about. Yeah, it's not something you require. But this one, things, the way it tells that second half, things start to hit you over the head a little a little much. Mm-hmm. And you start to think to yourself, well, this is a cute idea, but what about this? What about that? What about this? And you, you, I, I, I don't think anybody couldn't, well, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody could. And I don't like logic getting in the way of me entertaining. I mean, I still enjoyed the film. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the film, but I, I did enjoy it. And I still recommend it because I think it's kind of kind of a cool idea and kind of fun on a low budget. Uh, it's not overtly graphic or anything, but it is overtly creepy. Uh, so I, you know, I'd recommend it. Not, but yeah. not great, but not bad right. either. It's kind of you know Joe Swanberg's involved in this too, so. Okay. Uh, I know some people hear the name Joe Sonberg and they get upset, but I like some yep. Swanberg stuff. So, anyway, uh, not bad, not bad. Uh, well acted, I'll say that. Very well acted. So, and the other film I watched, this is also on Amazon Prime, so you can check this out if you haven't. The Mentors, The Kings of Sleaze, the documentary. Oh, so, I see. So this is the other First Amendment thing. <laughs> they were, uh, yeah, they uh, they pushed it. Uh yeah, and that's the whole purpose of the mentors, right? Is just to uh, mm-hmm. offend. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny looking at this stuff. You know, obviously there was a time when yeah, I would listen to something like the mentors, and I would do it to get a rise out of people. I never really did it because I was like, this is amazing music. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there is some talent in some of the music. I will say that, but the lyrics are blatantly offensive for no reason mm-hmm. other than to shock you. I mean, these. If you don't know who the mentors are, you've probably seen maybe the Executioner Mask. Uh, you might know El Duce from uh, yep. the Kurt and Courtney documentary. Um, he died shortly after that. There's been some rumors that he was killed uh, because he knew too much. I don't know if any of that's true. He was a raging alcoholic. Uh, so drunk most of the time he couldn't even perform. Uh, but the mentors were just, they called their music rape rock. So right away, it's like, okay, in this modern era, that would be considered terrible. And it is it is terrible. It's terrible in the way that it's offensive in every way, shape, and form. But again, you don't have to listen to it. No. (laughs) And it doesn't mean you get the right to say they can't do it. 
<laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I'm not going to lie, I would, you know, throw this on every now and then at a, a get-together just to see if I could get a rise out of some folks. And you get the mixed reactions of either laughter uh, or some folks are just like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this, this party got weird. Um, but, you know, that that's what it's there for. So. Well, yeah, it's, 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 you know, there's a, there's reasons why it's provocative. It's not in the, you know, it's like, it's not, uh, it's not, I, I wouldn't go so far as calling it aimless. Although I think that, you know, there's a certain level of it that is, uh, meant to just be like, you know, fuck you if you don't like it. Um, yeah, aimless isn't the word I would use because obviously the point is to get a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to get a reaction, you got a name. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Even if, yeah, even if, uh, even if the the, you know, what you're stating itself is not important. You know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I used to, so the mentors are who I used to use for an example when people would say to me, "I can't believe this kind of stuff exists. This is so gross. This is so terrible." And then they put their two live crew tape in the tape deck. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, to each their own." <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, you know, what you're willing to, uh, you can accept you what you're willing to put up with. Rape rock is too far. Rape rap. But two, but two live crew. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Those nice young lads. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just, you know, it, like you say, it's, it's, it's a perception thing and it's all that. Sure. Is. And you know, God bless the mentors. Uh, some of those guys are still trying to do some stuff. And, uh, I think a sicky wife beater and, and uh, the other guy, I don't know his name. <laughs> uh, I think they're still uh, putting music out there. Uh, the mentors have got had a long history. They've been around since 1975. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> that is unbelievable to be. So. Well, they were. Yeah, they were there at the beginning. They were there when uh, when this whole thing started. When when uh, there was a, a, a deep sense of individuality and wanting to do something different, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is you know quickly became commodified and uh you know segmented compartmentalized um and even then uh they were still you know kind of pushing against the grain yeah um but that was you know that was an interesting time i don't think they could have they, they certainly couldn't couldn't have existed before then no. um no but uh, but that they came out then when when everything else was so wild uh and so kind of you know just trying to do something that uh, that hadn't been done yet you know what it all comes down to we can we can all blame frank zappa for all this fuck him who does he think he is playing a, a saw on the steve <laughs> allen show or whatever the fuck it was With, that, no, didn't he do that it was a saw and a bicycle was it okay yeah and it made no sense but it was music and well it's frank zappa it's frank zappa yeah he but, was one of those guys who yeah he was going to push He's the boundaries. He's out there doing stuff just to just to do it, yep. just Trans to see what would happen. Transgressive to a fault, maybe, but yeah, Andy Kaufman, you know, doing things that uh, you know you want to see how far you can go. You want to see what the reaction will be, yeah, uh, because you don't know. You haven't, you know, to stay within the boundaries. Uh, you know what the reactions are going to be. This will get a laugh. This will get a, a tear. This will get you know whatever. This will make you throw but to up. To do things yeah. that are just you know poking. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, then you're just like, well, I don't know what they're going to do. Wouldn't yeah. it be interesting to see it? It's interesting to listen to some of that mentor stuff now. I haven't listened to it in decades, but it's funny watching that documentary and listen to some of the uh, lyrics. Obviously, they're super offensive. Uh, you know, 
the any word you can possibly think uh um that you know <laughs> any word that's clearly a word you're not supposed to use at all anymore is used in their music but it's it's funny going back and listen to it now it's like you know there's there's this level of immaturity but also this level of commentary mm. that's kind of mind blowing and then also this level of alcoholism fueled confusion <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that is also yeah, I there can see that. you know and uh you know all i'll say is you know pollock pollock sold a lot of paintings after he yes. drank himself to death so obviously alcohol has uh you know some effect i don't know what it is but anyway it's it, there, it's a weird creation the mentors and trust me it's it's you know that that's something that would not be popular today so for those of you who have never checked out the mentors or mike diana drawings I'm not telling you go check it out. I'm warning you now. Both are super offensive, yeah. and uh, they're offensive for a reason. So uh, I didn't recommend those to you. To uh, I'm not recommending them. I'm just going to warn you. If you go down that road, be prepared. You will be offended. Yeah. Even me, who's seen some terrible things, is like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> some of those uh, mentors' lyrics, some of the later songs, some of the stuff they're still doing, I'm like, oh, my God. You can't believe you're still doing this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Um, but, you know, again, I will stand up for the right for them to do it. You won't see me in a mentor show, but you'll see me supporting no, the mentors being able to say that. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, man, I've been doing much. Watching Perry Mason. Just, uh, that's yeah, loving that. Show just gets better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has been getting yeah significantly better the past couple episodes. Yeah, and then uh, Star Girl is is still very solid. Kicking ass, man! It is. Once I get Loving through those it. two, I'm gonna jump into something else. And yeah, uh, but uh, Doom Patrol's been good. Yeah, Doom Patrol's I, been really good. I'll probably jump back onto that because I I got two episodes into that and I just realized, like I said, two shows is about as much as I can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I started uh, Umbrella Academy had its second season drop. I think on Friday. So I watched the first episode of that, I think yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Starting it off. Starting it off interesting. Still got to get around to that at some point. Have you watched the first season? Of no, that? no, no, no. Okay. There's okay. a lot of shows that they just escape me, man. It's just the way it is. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still haven't watched shit like, you know, Lost or anything. <laughs> or uh, yeah. Walking Dead. I made it through the first season. I was like, yeah, that's enough for me. Yeah, I made it through two seasons of The Walking Dead. Second season's better than the first season. But, uh, yeah, man. I watched about two episodes of that third season. I was like, you know what? This show is terrible. Yeah, pretty uh, much. I hate to bust anybody's bubble that's listening to the show that loves it, but <laughs> I'm sorry. That might be the worst written show good. I think I've ever watched before in my life. Yeah. Maybe the yeah, second I season would... was terrible, but I I enjoyed it, some of it. It was, you know, Joe Barenthal in particular. But... Oh, yeah, man, that show makes me, oh, makes me question anybody's. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) that's a rough one. And oddly, it's something that knowing me is as bad as it was at some point. I'll probably go back and revisit it because of, you know, just that's just the way my brain works. It's like it's a horror thing and I'll probably go back and check it out at some point. But yeah, those first three or four episodes of season three, I was like, fuck this. Oh, anyway, need that. It's a got my soapbox there. Let's get into talking about movies. We're going to take a short break, and uh, I think we'll come back and we'll talk about the clamor. 
Yeah, man. We'll talk about that one first. We'll be back right after this. Morricone, a little uh, for a few dollars more there. I think you guys might remember that. I've heard of that picture. Yeah, pound for pound, one of the best westerns ever made. Uh, it's up there. Yeah. yeah, man. I'm a huge fan of that second one. <laughs> huge. Um. Anyway, let's get into what we're doing. We're doing some Italian stuff this week, so it kind of goes with the Morricone thing. Uh, our first film is The Climber, La Ambencio, Abitio, I don't know, <laughs> Abitio, Abitio, <laughs> yeah, anyway. La Ambicioso. Yeah, what a poster this thing's got. Um, this is uh, The Climber, 1975, directed by Pasquale Squitieri. Um, a young American in Italy who aspires to be a career criminal starts out working for a big gangster, but for some reason, he gets beaten and banished from the gang. I think there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason. <laughs> uh, determined to take revenge, he starts over and begins rising to the top. Uh-huh. Now, so we should go ahead and preface this with saying that there has long been rumors that uh, Brian De Palma and Oliver Stone saw this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that it's a heavy influence on Scarface. Uh, it's definitely there. And I would say any Italian cinema is an influence on Brian De Palma. Uh, it's very clear that he watched a lot of Italian cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I not, I've said this before on the show, and I'll say it again. You know, Brian De Palma was basically the Quentin Tarantino of the 70s uh, in a lot of ways. Um, basically, just, you know, uh, a filmmaker who's regurgitating the films he loves and mm-hmm. the filmmakers he loves and turned it into pop art and... Uh, some see that as ripping people off. Some see that as, you know, again, that kind of commentary of being influenced by others and this is what comes out. You can't deny that Brian De Palma's work is Brian De Palma's. But you also can't deny that Pasquale Squitieri's work is Pasquale Squitieri's. There's certainly some things here. The thing that always kind of throws me off, though, is I don't know if Oliver Stone would have seen this. I, I Maybe he would have. I don't know. Ah, uh, this one might have. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it seems kind of odd that something this obscure would have such a huge influence on. Yes. Uh, something. I mean, obviously, this when you get into Scarface, yeah, clearly it also comes from, um, you know, the uh, the uh, the the original from nineteen thirty. What the, what the hell was it? Thirty five or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean, yeah, a lot of it's in there, and, and you know, it's it's very likely that Squitieri and company mm-hmm. um, took a lot of influence from that. There you go. This, which then you know, it's stepping stones to get to yeah. um, the eventual De Palma Stone yeah. uh, collaboration. But also with Oliver Stone, I mean, Scarface, the eighty. 80- 
83 film? I guess it's 83, 85. I believe it was 83. Yeah. It's also a very American story. You know, Mm -hmm. the uh, immigrant coming over, uh, like getting American success, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. And and, and again, I mean, that came from the original. uh, It was 32, uh, the Paul Mooney one. Wow. Um, it's amazing, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's the same. It's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of story. Yeah, so it's interesting to kind of go back and look at that. And uh, I would say the similarities are there, certain certainly, but the filmmaking is completely different. And uh, in a lot of ways, uh, although I might see the influences, I don't know if I think it might be more what you said, and uh, it might come from the original uh, Scarface story. That's how I. That's how I look at it. A lot of gangster uh, stories kind of come from that uh, yeah. uh, poor immigrant, uh, yep, being successful type thing. So, yep, yep, yep. So anyway, this is uh, an Arrow release. It's a bit of an obscure film in some ways. Uh, if you'd have told me when we started the show we'd cover a Joe D'Alessandro film called The Climber, I'd have said, well, whatever. But <laughs> uh, we might cover it, but it'll be a VHS rip, and we won't be able to see it and all that other kind of stuff. But how about this? I watched a Blu-ray <laughs> of this movie from 1975, uh, a movie I had never seen. So it's a Eurocrime film. So let's get into it. Now, I guess I'll let you lead on this one. I guess I'll lead on the next one. We'll sure. go. All righty. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. The opening of the film is basically an industrial set to a like 70s Eurocrime sort of tune. Um and the, the the music is courtesy of uh, Franco Companino. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, as you're watching this, at least you know it's one of those things where you're not 100 percent sure whether that bodes well or not. Uh, but it does certainly set a type of mood. Um, we just kind of go around this this area, watching all these these heavy equipment um, do their thing. Uh, it doesn't quite lead into well. This is a crime story uh, at first blush. Um, Sorry about that. Hit the microphone. Did you fall over? Yes. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Sorry for all those uh, listeners who just had their speakers blown. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, so, uh, Little Joe is uh, certainly suited to the part. Um, he's the uh, a guy who has uh, a look and a certain sort of uh, swagger um, that, um, you know, he's he's the kind of guy who, who just when you look at him, he, he reeks of being a jerk. Uh, and his character is totally that. Yeah, pouty is the word I would use. Yeah, that's that's one way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly. Uh, what's interesting is that you know him being an American transplant uh, with a lot of ambition is it's um, that's the kind of thing that, that's interesting to it because you really don't see that a lot. You know, going to Italy uh, to kind of make your bones. It's mm-hmm. it's usually mm-hmm. more you know, folks coming to America, but I find that, I find that kind of that little twist, uh, kind of interesting there. Um, it's yeah, of course, as, as far of, as I know, John D'Alessandro wasn't Squitieri's first choice. I think he had some, I think he wanted to do testy. I believe so. Yeah. Um, cause I think he had done some stuff with, uh, Fabio testy before, but he didn't feel like testy was American enough looking, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, but, uh, I think well, no. I find Testy to be pretty. I do too. American looking. If you wanted to do that, I mean, nine out of ten, it was going to be dubbed into dubbed without his uh, actual voice mm-hmm. anyway. So yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, um, Delisandro's dubbed here. This is not Delisandro's yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, <laughs> that's another thing it could get into is Delisandro's voice. Um, yeah, it's great. His real it's voice. Very, it's distinct. Yeah, his real voice. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. I had a good time making that picture. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly had a good time with Cassini, it appears. Yeah. Um, I definitely would have tried to have a good time with her, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, definitely. So, uh, it's, you know, it, obviously the character, it's difficult to muster sympathy for him. Uh, but the core of the story I think is compelling enough. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what, what drives you forward through the film. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, okay. There's a scene in the truck stop bathroom. I don't doubt, uh, that little Joe spent a lot of time in truck stop bathroom. <laughs> uh, so there's a certain amount of verisimilitude, uh, going on there. Nice. Um, oh, come on. It, he's, he's, <laughs> Dallas Andrew, he's one of those guys, you know, I, I I get the physical appeal of him. Sure. Uh, and he's he's not the worst actor ever. No. But I also I never got the fascination with him outside of his being a fixture in a certain I, scene. I honestly believe that Delisandro's career uh, is mostly because of his fearlessness with nudity. And I I think well that people, doesn't really serve him well here because no, he doesn't really get naked. He doesn't get naked here, but I think that he made his bones. Uh, <laughs> bad, uh, you know, <laughs> to no funny, yeah. Uh, being able to do, you know, he was one of the first actors who did a lot of full frontal nudity. Uh, you know, in the late '60s yeah, and early yeah. '70s, and uh, he was known for that. Um, and you know, these films that that kind of you know where he, like I said, it's where he made his bones, and then you know. They try to turn him into a star, I think, in Italy. Yeah. Uh, well, it, but tried, what's yeah, interesting, yeah. But what's interesting about his career, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, is I mean, he's worked with some big name directors. I mean, he's he's worked with Coppola, he's worked with uh, Steven Soderbergh, he's worked with uh, I think Tosica. Uh, and he's worked with some big names, and yeah. uh, you know Warhol and Morrissey, obviously, and you know even though I don't think Paul Morrissey's that great a filmmaker, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but his stuff well, has a place, you know. Yeah, but I think that I mean, you you speak about Morrissey, uh, but I mean, how much of he he kind of mirrors D'Alessandro in a way because he's one of those guys who's like, would you have heard of him if Andy Warhol hadn't put his name no. to uh, to his work? No. Would you have heard of Joe D'Alessandro if he hadn't hung around the factory? Mm. Uh, in in the sixties and seventies. Well, you have to wonder. Uh, yeah, you kind of got to wonder about that. Yeah, you start you go down that rabbit hole too, and you start to wonder would Udo Kier even have a career if it wasn't for sure. Some well, of these I think I think Kier would have because I think that he was he was of a certain time and place to begin with, mm. like outside of uh, like like a scene, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Because he yeah, like Kier has a, a bit more of a. Um, like it, it would have happened for him eventually, regardless. Well, they, they were all kind of part of a countercultural movement, 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 movement. Uh, yeah, rubber. yeah, rubber. It's easy for you to say. Rubber. I'm not even going to try to say vers- versimilitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's too early for that garbage. The miss on sand. Yeah. The oh man, don't even get me started. <laughs> but they were all part of that, right? Warhol, I think, was trying to push boundaries yes. with film. D'Alessandro was there. Sylvia, was it Miles? Or is, is that who it was? She was there. Udo Kier was there. Uh, Morrissey is part of that. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of button pushing 
it's early transgressive cinema, basically almost even before John Waters in some ways. Uh, but clearly, Waters saw some of these movies, and you know, Joe's even yeah, Joe's even worked with uh, uh, Waters. He was in the Crybaby. So Del Sandro, you know, he he's just got one of the weirdest careers, and of course now he manages an apartment building, I think, in New York or somewhere. Maybe yeah. L- maybe L.A. I don't know. Um, evidently, he's still he's still there and he's still working there. I guess you could walk in there and meet him if you wanted to. I would not doubt for one second that you couldn't just walk up to him <laughs> and start having a conversation. But I mean, he's got to have some great stories. I mean, if, you gave him a, if you gave him a smoke, anyway. Yeah, I'm sure he's got some great stories. Oh God, yeah. Well, he's he certainly yeah. I mean, there's there's a little feature interview uh, on here on this disc mm-hmm. um, where he he gets into. Uh, he gets into some details, and he's he's really doesn't <laughs> he doesn't mince words about anything. No, uh, he he tells you straight up what he's thinking, what he was doing, what he was thinking then, um, and you know, kiss his ass if you don't like it. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite stories in there is that uh, the one where he talks about going and making that Italian production in Africa. I think it is, and uh, hey, how he just kind of showed up was going to show up for a part because uh, I think he was following a girl down there or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then uh, he gets down there and finds out he's the lead. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, right. How'd this happen? <laughs> yeah, you know. I think it's called Safari. It's called Safari. Some Safari Rally. That's the name uh, of the film. That off the top of my head, I don't remember. Yeah, it's a film he went down to Africa to make, and uh, he was just going to be in a bit part, and the next thing he knows, he's the lead in the movie. <laughs> So there you go. Directed by uh, Beto Albertini. Never heard of Beto. Nice yeah. Uh so yeah. Uh Joe. I mean he's Joe. Um yeah. you get uh, you get that face bite um that mm. happens in here mm-hmm. uh, when he's having a little bit of a scuffle. That was kinda neat. Uh so Squitieri, he seems to like to soak up the local atmosphere of Napoli, Naples, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, he seems to like to shoot like really loosely, sort of like a documentary style. And there's, I think, multiple sequences uh, are essentially travel logs. Um, and in a way, it almost feels like something that would have been shot in New York City at the time. Um, so, I mean, it kind of feels a bit more... Uh, American than European, even though it feels very, very European, very, very mm-hmm. Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, that in mind, uh, I think that Joe's background uh, lets him be totally at ease uh, while, you know, there's stuff like that uh, that greasy guy uh, in the back room who's feeling him up. Uh, you could see his kind of his hustler's poker face yeah. in full effect. Yeah. Um, so you do get, you do really get the, uh, a sense of, you know, little Joe. Um, kind of being in the in the zone so to speak mm-hmm. um so the stefania cassini uh character she takes joe in uh, like a stray dog basically um i love that you know he shows up on her steps but tells her that he doesn't want to put her in danger uh so <laughs> yeah that was brilliant um i think that Unfortunately for uh, Cassini, I think that she's in a really thankless and I, I also think mostly superfluous role. Mm-hmm. Um, she really doesn't seem to do a hell of a lot or have that all that much importance to yeah. the, the movie. Even though, 
uh, by the end of the movie, she's her character does have an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's earned. Um, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's there to you know get naked a little bit. Uh, obviously, you know, also she and uh, Joe were having a bit of a thing uh, at that point in time as well. Um, so you know, obviously, she's there for that. There's some, uh, inter- some interesting elements with her character. She seems she really cares for Joe's character, and then she kind of gets confused by it, and then she kind of goes along for the ride for a little while. Yeah. Right, because you know she's obviously living in semi-poverty and has this small place and everything, and then you know Joe rises, uh, climbs, yeah. for lack of a better word, a little bit more to the top, and she's you know living the kind of you know the good life, and then she has that well, moment never, of morality. Never, I don't think I don't think she ever really seems at ease with it, and she almost seems kind of surprised. I thought that yeah, you know he's he's doing what he's doing when you're just like, well, you were there from the beginning, yeah. It's a weird, you know, it's a weird moment because it's like she's like shocked, yeah, that he's doing yeah. things. But it's like you were there when he was explaining what he was going to do. Yeah, so I mean, you really shouldn't. Some, you know, she she is basically window dressing for the movie. I, she really is, unfortunately, um, and I found that kind of a bit of a uh, a notch against. Um, so you know, and kind of with that in mind as well. Um, uh, so the world that uh, that Joe knows, the one that you know he's kind of so eager to be on top of, uh, is continually shown to be inhabited by snakes and scumbags. Um, but obviously, it has the appeals of money and power. Uh, and what's interesting is that the people that he allows himself to get close to are, are hurt the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a junkie, you know, he can't really help himself. He can't let go of anger and pride. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the thing that, uh, that, uh, you know, carries through the entire movie. And I think that that's the thing that kind of links this, uh, possibly most closely to the 83 movie, sure. the Scarface, uh, sure. uh, remake. Um, you do get, uh, a little bit of uh, full Monty shower business at the gym. Mm. Uh, not with little Joe, mind you. No. Uh, but with a you know uh, a hairy Italian man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe that was uh, was that uh, was that uh, Benito Artesi or is that? I don't know. I don't remember. Who, I don't remember at, who it was. I've seen that gentleman in other Italian films. Uh, and I saw more of him. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few uh, peplum actors in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, guys that. Uh, you know, when you think of uh, kind of stereotypical muscle-bound Italian guys, you've probably seen these guys before. Yeah, some yeah. of them very still very muscular. That gentleman in particular, and very naked. Um, and then uh, some of them. Uh, there's a guy behind the bar in one scene. He's a former uh, peplum actor as well, but obviously he had decided to keep eating the calories and stop working out. So <laughs> he did do the carbo loading without the. Yeah. Uh, Getting the and I, th- I think toward the end, there's an assassin as well that actually played may may have actually played Hercules. I'm not 100 percent positive, but ah, uh, that I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Joe starts to um, build up his uh, his crew of muscle boys, hobos, and dirt bike riders, which is such a weird, <laughs> it's <laughs> such a weird little amalgamation. Uh, the uh, the trio of uh, 
of areas that he picks from. Yeah. Uh, but they're the people that, you know, we don't get much detail uh, in this regard as far as, you know, who he's picking, why he's picking mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happens. And the important thing is that they're all uh, kind of misfits uh, is the the, uh, the essential part of it. Uh, and that's the thing that I found interesting is that, you know, he almost is, is kind of building up this, uh, this street gang uh, thing to take on something that's a bit more organized. Uh, I found that kind of interesting uh, yeah. in a way. Pietro Teresi is the name of the actor I was thinking of. He's done fantasy films. Bodybuilder type. He was actually in Popeye as well. How about that? He was in Black Emanuel too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen him before in other things, but he plays a hitman in this. So when he shows up, you're like, oh, I know that guy from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he almost, if I'm remembering right, he almost kind of looks like um, uh, he might have been in the Allman Brothers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's got one of those facial. Uh, yeah. He's uh, he's in a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, actually. Yeah, man, I'm looking through here. I'm like, man, he pops up in like, I don't know how many uh, Italian Westerns. A lot of them with Trinity in the name. <laughs> That's a shock. God, he's been on the show a lot. I'm, surp- I'm surprised he was in not in any Ringos. Yeah. Lady Dynamite, he was in that. He's in oh, everything. I like that one. Super Stooges versus the Wonder Women. Nice. <laughs> yeah. He done just about everything. Nice. Who's Afraid of Zorro? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> title. Anyway, uh, he's he's done he's done a lot of stuff anyway. Salon Kitty. I mean, he just pops up in all kinds of stuff. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. He's just one of those actors, and uh, he definitely has a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, once we get to that point, um, yeah, because he's he's driving around with a fucking trailer. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just odd. Uh, it's just an odd little thing. Uh, so there's a, a barroom brawl in this thing uh, that's interesting. Um, as I'm watching it, uh, I, it's it's shot and edited almost like a dream or a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that, you know, I thought that it's a glimmer of brilliance in the, uh, in the movie. I think that, you know, Squitieri does a really decent job of, uh, using slow motion, which he does at several points in the film, mm-hmm. uh, and especially here, uh, and, you know, cards on the table. I mean, this is my make or break, uh, is that barroom brawl scene. Yeah. Um, I agree with, with you. the, uh, the sailors, it's it really good. just, it stands out as being just a, just nice, uh, nice little bit of filmmaking. Yeah, Control Chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I should say, um, uh, Pietro Teresi, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, man, there's something on the show he's been figured prominently in, and I can't find out what it is. Well, then I walk right past it. It's a uh, cry of a prostitute. He's in that. So, uh, so there you go. That's nice. where most of our listeners would probably know him from. So how about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neat. Neat. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, on the Scarface thing again. Um, one of the things that I found, uh, because yeah, obviously there are similarities. You know, the the immigrant climbing the criminal ladder, crowns himself, you know, um, on top of a pile of shit, gets taken down. Um, I think that this film kind of likes reveling in the action just a bit more. Um, it's more, uh, populist in that way, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, although Scarface itself is very, a very populist movie. Yes. Um, 
this one just seems to be a little more uh, gutter action level, uh, just to put that out there, for those of you who are comparing and contrasting. Um, we do get uh, some Euro crime action in a quarry, uh, because, you know, uh, Euro crime movies love their quarries, so we got to get one in here. We got one. Um, and then the last uh, 15 or so minutes... Uh, I found to be particularly satisfying in like a grimy sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really accentuated by there's this this dirge-like uh, music from Companino uh, and the editing. Uh, and it all it, it builds up to this, you know, the obvious, the inevitable uh, climax of the, of the movie. Um, but I found that to be, you know, really, really nicely done. Um, so, you know, I mean, the movie, it's very street level. Uh, it's very gritty. Uh, but you know, it's also, I think fairly standard in story and characters. Um, and I also think there's, uh, there, eh, there's a decent amount of padding, uh, for, you know, almost no reason. Uh, I mean, this movie is an hour and 42 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we say this often, I, I really, I think they should have aimed a little bit harder for the, uh, the sweet spot, the 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that uh, overall, though, I think that this is uh, it's an interesting footnote uh, in the uh, the story of Eurocrime. Um, it's something that uh, I don't know that I'd say it should be seen, but uh, it certainly you, you don't don't go wrong in seeing it. Sure, uh, it's entertaining enough for for the time that it plays. Uh, it's got some uh, some interesting enough things going on, uh, and you know there's certainly a, a determination you can see from Squidieri, uh going on behind the camera. Um, that he was, uh, you know, he was trying to, to do his best with uh, obvious, uh, obvious limits. Yeah. Um, and, and mostly he succeeds. So yeah. kick it over to you for, uh, for your thoughts. From what I understand, he was a political filmmaker. I'm not really, really aware of his work. I know of nothing else that he's done off yeah. the top of my head, unless this I is, saw something by accident, just yeah. didn't notice that this he's is, directed. As far as I know, this is my only Squiddy Air Jam so far. Uh, not saying and he I passed away in 2017. Yeah, yeah. He uh, didn't make a whole lot, but he made a few things. Wouldn't mm-hmm. say that we wouldn't uh, see another one. There's some, there's some other stuff in here we could probably get. Oh around no, there. I've seen Gang War in Naples. I've seen oh, that. There you go. Yeah, his first film was uh, Django Defies Sartana. Ooh. <laughs> so there you go. Directed that as William Redford. Um. Okay, uh, so I gotta say, this is also uh, we should say available on Prime Video if you have Prime. I think uh, Prime's got some kind of deal with Arrow because there's a lot of Arrow stuff on there uh, that they've kind of picked up and put out and stuff. But also Arrow, I mean Prime. If you start digging pretty deep in there, there's a lot of Italian stuff on Prime. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You got to dig in there a little bit. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be on your uh, algorithms when you get in there immediately. But if you start watching some of that Italian stuff, it'll start to recommend some pretty obscure, strange Italian films to you. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck put together the uh, Amazon's like uh, search engines or whatever for, yeah. for Prime Video, but they're horrible. I know horrible I know. to find shit it's oh my god i find most you of gotta, those you streaming gotta services. dig just to be able to dig yeah i find most of those streaming services i find the search engines very very needless i mean you, you gotta have an exact title you're looking for 
And, yeah. Oh, that that bothers me too. Yeah. And it's always it, it happened. I remember when you know in the that life really of, sucks if you have like colons or dashes yeah. or some shit. In the life of this show, when we started this show, there was no streaming. Uh, it started right around the time we started the show. I think Trouble Man. Uh, I watched that on Netflix Instant Watch. Uh, back then, that's what it was called. Now it's just called Netflix. But it was Netflix Instant Watch back then, and I watched that, and I remember thinking, oh, this could catch on if you watch it on something other than a computer. And then, sure enough, a couple years later, I think it started hitting, you know, the Xbox and things like that. And I remember thinking, man, they could really screw uh, certain people on this, you know, front page thing. It's the same way the video game market is. If you pay enough, you can be on the front page. You know, if you uh, want to push your film more than the others, but if you really want to find, I mean, there's a ton of stuff on Netflix, but you'd you'd never know it if you pull up Netflix because you're going to see the same, you know, 50 things every single time. Yep. (laughs) And it's really a shame because uh, that's, to me, the streaming services, what they can really provide if they really wanted to. And this is what I was hoping HBO Max would do, and which it hasn't yet, is they can provide, you know, massive amounts of back catalogs of film history yeah and yeah, yeah. uh so far i'm uh, just not seeing a lot of that so yeah well you spend i mean and then you spend your entire damn day just Search. looking <laughs> yeah I know. And, and until you find something it's like oh now i gotta go to bed yeah um but <laughs> you know and people say well well it's kind of like when you're in a video store it's like well it is but it isn't because at least in a video store everything was kind of just sitting there yeah it's not like things were hidden behind other things yeah. usually. Yeah. I mean, they might not be in the right section, but you know. Well, also, you know, they were still all the boxes were still sitting there with the. Know, I could see Netflix. Like, if you like the climber, then you also like this Netflix original. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big thing too. <laughs> yeah. so, the, the, so them starting to turn out their own. Uh, yep. Their own stuff, and you know, no, no, no knocks against it. Some of the Netflix original stuff's great. Sure. Uh, some of it's trash. It's just like any studio. So it is what it is. Um, anyway, to kind of get back to this movie, I, I got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, I was kind of surprised I liked it as much as I did. There's really no big name faces in this outside of uh, uh, D'Alessandro, uh, Stefania, whatever, however you say her last name. Cassini. Uh, Cassini, sorry. I didn't have it in front of me, so I couldn't uh, say it forthright. And uh, maybe I think Raymond uh, Pellegrin, Pellegrin, Pellegrino, mm-hmm. Pellegrin. He plays Pellegrin. the Don, and he's been in a few things. And there's a, there's a few other people in the movie and stuff that you've seen in other Italian films, but nobody that really kind of jumps out. Uh, but I will say this: the henchmen, all the henchmen in the film, are kind of they're well cast by face. I mean, they, there's a yeah. lot of great yeah, faces yeah. in this movie, and uh, you know, there's just some fun to be had uh, with the kind of casting of uh all the kind of gang and probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is really just kind of him recruiting all of his folks and getting all of his guys together and and i agree with you that clubhouse scene is one is one of the best scenes it, you know, it turns into some kind of weird form of a like a bike gangster movie <laughs> yeah 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 and it, it's kind of strange because i didn't expect that at all um yeah but but then he just he just starts you know squidier he just starts doing like different things with the cameras he starts doing he starts speed, uh slowing it down and, and and then he starts playing around with uh with sound a little bit which i found kind of interesting as well yeah. it really is just a nice little a nice little piece a nice little sequence yeah really I, well done i think that's probably the best way to describe the movie too it's just a nice little i mean i agree with you it's a little too long 
Um, it wore out its welcome for a while uh, for me in spots. But I found it yeah. pretty yeah. entertaining, and it moved along in a pretty good clip, and uh, visually pretty uh, enticing as well. I mean, it was pretty colorful. Uh, he's doing some things, like you said, with the camera. Uh, the story's interesting. I mean, it's not a new story. It's a rise to power type uh, gangster story, so it's not a new idea. But um, it, it's pretty good. I think D'Alessandro, I think he fits a certain kind of movie. Uh, <laughs> he fits this a little bit, but not completely. Yeah, I didn't buy him completely in this. Well, because he never, you know, Little Joe, yeah, I mean, his appeal is limited because I think of his limitations. No. Um, he is the definition think, of a cult actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, he, I can't he, think of anybody that's more cultish. you are just never going to buy him being. <laughs> yeah, he's like Reggie Nalder, uh, the actor who played <laughs> yeah. bad guys all the time. I mean, there's just certain yep. actors who have, you know, this this one appeal. Uh, you know, color me surprised that he ended up working with John Waters, who loves cult actors. You know, I mean, it's just and has created more than a few cult actors himself. I mean, it just he's just he's you know, he's in that ballpark of like Divine and Reggie Nalder and uh, just weird actors throughout history that you're like, how did these guys, <laughs> you know, how did they. But the thing about Joe that's interesting is because he was handsome. Uh, and mileage may vary there. I do think he was a kind of a smoldering, kind of pouty, handsome, personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they tried to make him a star, and I just don't think it ever really kind of panned out. Um, which is is fine. I mean, you you do that. You try to make you know. I mean, Taylor Kitsch. We just we we just kind of talked about him in the end, opening, right? Yep. They really threw Taylor Kitsch out there, and they were like, he's going to be the next big star. And then some, you know, one failure, and he kind of disappears a little bit. And now he's got to rebuild. And that's just, unfortunately, yeah. that's the way Hollywood is. Uh, just, you well, know. but I think that in that rebuilding is when, you know, you kind of tend to find your actual level. Yeah. Like where you actually fit. Exactly. Rather than being forced to, you know, forced into this star role that may or may not, you know, suit you. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you because, you know. Taylor Kitsch is, you know, he's going to be a big star in a big movie, and maybe that's not where he needs to be. Maybe he needs to be, you know, brother number one or, yeah, yeah, you know, the henchman or something like that, you know. So, and D'Alessandro, you know, he made a career out of some character parts, but he also, like I said, did some weirdly starred in some pretty big movies uh, and with some big actors and other cult actors. He did a film with uh, Sylvia Crystal, and he's done, you know, done quite a bit of stuff you go back and look through you know even though he hasn't done as many films as you would think i think he's only got 55 credits but everything seems to be kind of memorable and i don't know how he managed to pull that off because <laughs> uh, if you if you listen to interviews with him like i watched the interview on this disc it's not like he really cared <laughs> he just kind of yeah. showed up Well, i think i think it's one of those things where you know and this is kind of a, a politically incorrect uh, thing to say, but it's the, the kind of uh, idea where you know, if you want to look thin, hang out with fat people. Hmm. Um, I think that's more of uh, how he's he's done what he's done than anything else. Yeah, well, he's kind of a counterculture hero too. I mean, he was popular with uh, homosexuals and popular with uh, uh, heterosexuals, and I think that True. and you know, this is a time before you know, I think that 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 was kind of counterculture at the time, so. You know, nowadays I don't think that's as big a deal, obviously, but 
uh, if anything, Joe D'Alessandro's, to me, his reputation, his career can be summed up as that. He was kind of a a weird way, kind of like a, a poster child for uh, the coming out generation of the late mm. 60s and mid 70s. Um, and like I said, I think I, maybe I didn't talk about it on this show or on the recording, but before we started recording that, you know, he's always claimed that he's openly bisexual. So obviously he takes some, you know, some pride in that as well. And, uh, you know, rightly he should, uh, nothing should be, you know, shamed there not to get political on the show, but I just, that's my opinion anyway, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with it. And, uh, you know, I think he. I think he's part of that generation. You know, part of that. Like I said, that Warhol thing. If anything comes out of that Warhol factory element, it's pushing the boundaries of art. Whether I like it or not, which I don't. Like I, I'll, I'm going to say here's here's a hot take. I don't like the Velvet Underground. <laughs> I think that's. Yeah, I can't really. I can't really fault you for that one. Yeah, I think I think that stuff is garbage, but I respect it. Okay, you know, I respect what they were trying to do and. And what they did, and it opened the doors. Like the Velvet Underground album, the first album, it's one of those albums that every other great musician after that owns. Like it pushed them to create something. And there's a lot of stuff I like that was inspired by the Velvet Underground album, Mm -hmm. but I don't like the Velvet Underground album. (laughs) Well, I mean, and that that also kind of links this up again uh, to the whole Scarface debate uh, slash discussion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One thing begets another, begets another, begets another. Yeah. And sometimes that second or third thing might be the one that appeals to you more, and it might be the right. thing that uh, hits it hits the nail right on the head. Oh yeah. So who knows? But I but I did find myself enjoying this film a lot more than I thought I would. Honestly, I thought it was going to be a very and this is weird to say this a very B grade Euro crime film because most Euro crime films are pretty B grade. So maybe I was thinking it would be more like a C or a Z grade uh, Euro crime film. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how kind of mature. And well made, this is as a Eurocrime movie. I mean, it's 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 not like breaking any boundaries or or doing anything no. new. But I found it very entertaining, and I very I found it very simple. The story was very simple, and I didn't want anything more out of it. After it, you know, it established itself, I liked where it was going, and it just had some really nice elements. I I, I think for me, it needed a better heavy. Uh, uh, that would have helped to counter uh, I think, I think a little more, a, a little more, um, a little more, uh, sense of direction. Yeah. Cause it does feel a bit aimless at in, times. uh, in yes. what it's, in what it's going for. Yeah. It did. Well, it feels like there's, there's that, like I said, there's that scene where he's recruiting his crew Yeah, and the movie at times feels like it's a bunch of people walking around. Yes, <laughs> and, exactly. And Squiddy Air, he's just catching shots. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah. That's kind of why I said it felt kind of like a, a bit of a, an NYC movie yeah. uh, of the time in, in certain ways. It's like ducks on a pond, you know. It's just kind of sitting there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks cool, but it's like you know nobody's doing anything. What do you, go do something? Yeah, <laughs> stop looking at me. I don't have any bread. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think the the character of Aldo that he plays in this, I think he does have a pretty nice arc. Um. You know, this is the, without getting into spoilers. It's pretty common in the Eurocrime genre. Uh, you know what happens and what what kind of uh, how the story kind of plays out and stuff. So it's not it's not uncommon. Uh, and if you've seen Scarface or you've seen uh, the original Scarface or you've seen pretty much any gangster movie in some ways, even White Heat, which we covered, uh, yeah. 
the, how the movie plays out will not be a surprise to you. And uh, although I do think it kind of comes out of nowhere, and I kind of enjoyed the way it kind of plays out. Um, I don't know. There, I don't know what I would have wanted more from this movie. Uh, maybe a a more deft hand at direction. Although I do think it's pretty well directed. I'm not going to say Pasquale Scutieri is not a good filmmaker because I haven't seen enough films to know. I have right. also seen Gang War in Naples, and you said that earlier. So I've at least seen two Scutieri films. But um, it, it in some ways it feels incompetent, strangely, and yeah, yeah. Well, it feels. I mean, like I said, it feels a little bit looser than you think it should, and there's that that sort of um, unrefined quality to it uh, that gives it its grittiness, but also kind of gives it this sort of drifting uh, feel to it that yeah. just it it just feels. I mean, the best word I can come up with is aimless. Yeah. Uh, even though we know what the we know what the end goal is, we don't see the steps are not as clear as they should be yeah. to get us there. Yeah, um, it's just one of those weird ones though because it's like you know even though we both agree it does feel aimless at times and and a little bit messy. Um, I think we were both kind of entertained by the movie, and it's 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 uh, I think it's a tribute to you know how well it's done, mostly by all the actors. Um, I know, like I said, Joe D'Alessandro, I can take or leave most of the time. I mean, he's fine. Sure. Uh, I don't, I, you know, he's not the first actor I think of when I think of, you know, great actors, but he is an actor I think of when I think of transgressive cinema and, and cult cinema, certainly. And, uh, I think he's fine in the movie. He, uh, maybe whips his hair a little one too many times. <laughs> I wish he would have put that shit back in a ponytail earlier because that gets a little irritating, but. You know, I, I like the way it played out, so I don't really have much more to add. We're going to get into Make or Breaks, MVTs. Let's do it. All righty. Um, make or Break, yeah. Uh, it's the uh, the brawl the brawl scene. Uh, it's really the standout of the in the, the entire movie. Although, uh, there is a scene uh, which is a little more relevant story-wise uh, when he goes back to the, uh, goes back to the, the porn hustler's back room. Uh, he ah, returns yes. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that scene it shows fully just how ambitious uh, Joe is exactly uh, in the movie so I mean you could kind of pick one for technical one for uh, one for story uh, on that one split the difference uh, MVT I am going to go with Squidieri. Um I think that personally I think that just about anybody could have acted in this thing uh, I think that uh, Squitieri, I think that he brings the texture and the atmosphere here uh, that make this thing uh, feel a little bit more lived in, a little more uh, realistic. Mm. And score for me, 6.5 out of 10. Nice. Uh, it's, nice. I think it's serviceable. Uh, it is entertaining. Uh, I don't think it's a must-see. Um, but I don't think that it's something that you will regret seeing. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think if you like Euro crime, I think you. I still don't think it's a must see, but I think it's uh, definitely something you should probably look check out at some yeah. point. I mean, I mean, the best word, uh, the, and this is damning with faint praise. Best word I could think of to describe it would be footnote. I mean, like I said, yeah, yeah. footnote yep. and Euro crime. Yep. Uh, okay, uh, my make or break is also the same thing as yours. The brawl scene does help that it's got that kind of driving kind of bluesy song that kind of pops yeah, up a couple yeah, yeah. times in the movie that you know if we weren't doing the morricone thing this month i probably would have tried to find that because it's a pretty good song 
I, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head because it's been a few days since I watched this. It's been a while, but I, you know, I'd be singing it otherwise. It's like, oh, damn the world. <laughs> it's kind of driving, kind of Bruce Springsteen-ish type of song. It's very strange in the middle of the movie. Uh, MVT, uh, I'm with you on the Squitieri, uh, but I'm going to go with Joe, and we keep okay. calling him. I think okay. it's funny. You know, one of the funny things about the movie I found kind of odd is you would think they would take the time to at least cover up the little Joe tattoo that he has on his arm, <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> So, nah. so he might be Aldo, but he, for all intents and purposes, he's always Joe. Yeah, uh, and that's that's just and, and to me, that's Joe D'Alessandro's career in a nutshell. Uh, he's more popular for being Joe, little Joe, and more popular for being Joe D'Alessandro than he is for being any of the characters he ever played. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what he's known for. So that and pictures of him with a boner seem to be two of the things <laughs> he's uh, very well known for. Um, but I, you know, I enjoyed him in the movie. To be honest with you, I think he has the right level of magnetism to attract and charisma. Uh, I don't think he's doing a great job acting here, certainly, but he has that thing, that uh, indefinable thing. Uh, maybe not as much as you know certain actors do, but he certainly has it. So I don't know if that's his power. I'd have to see more D'Alessandro. I've seen quite a few, but I'd have to see more D'Alessandro work. To know that, but it, it might be Squitieri's power or the way he shoots him and stuff. But I think he uh, he does a pretty admirable job in this uh, in this film. So, and my score is just a little bit higher than yours. It's a seven, uh, and that okay. tends to be okay. you know right around the ballpark of where we fall. Uh, Ten, you know, we either we're either half of this or half of another. Um, but yeah, it's it's entertaining. Uh, it's something I would rewatch, and uh, I had a good time with it. To be honest with you, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I'm with you. I couldn't recommend it, but if you're a Eurocrime fan, uh, you you would probably you'd probably get something out of this. I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's our thoughts on the climber. Again, Arrow put that out, so check it out. We're gonna take a short break. Come back and talk some Nate and Hayes. We'll be back right after this. some uh some western sounding shit right there man you can't sound more western than that or can you It'd be hard <laughs> it would definitely be difficult yes i love the whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> all right
right, so we are back. Um, let's get into our next film, which is uh, Nate and Hayes from 1983. Three. Yeah. Uh, same year Scarface, maybe? Yeah, we think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oddly. How about that? Yeah. Uh, Nate and Hayes, directed by Ferdinand Ferd Fairfax, a swashbuckling adventure which takes place in the mid-1800s on the South Pacific Islands where bloody raids and battles were once the rule of the day. Uh, fun, fun, fun fact about this one. Uh, this one has a screenplay credit for John Hughes. So, yes, uh, that's a fun fact. And you can kind of get that kind of sense of playfulness that, uh, Hughes kind of had. You can get that in this movie. Certainly. Yeah. 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 Um, this one's kind of fun. This, I, me and my brother, we watched this movie a lot growing up. Uh, this was on cable a lot, uh, yeah. when we were young and, uh, uh, we liked it quite a bit. We liked Michael O'Keefe because we had seen him in uh, Caddyshack, uh, which we had seen at the movies with my mom and dad, <laughs> which was weird. Um, you know, in hindsight, that's weird. At the time, it was totally normal. Um, but, you know, in hindsight now, you know, think to yourself, who takes their kid to see Caddyshack? But uh, uh, we, I don't know that that would be my first choice, but, you know, yeah, hey. Yeah, we, we, we saw it more than once at the movies. I think my dad was a big fan. Okay. So, so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but we became big fans of Rodney Dangerfield as kids because of that. But we also became fans of Michael O'Keefe because he was in that movie. So it was kind of one of the first times I kind of, uh, you know, put together an actor's kind of resume, uh, you know, working yeah, stuff. Because this is totally different than Caddyshack. Oh, my God, yeah. And this is, you know, I mean, like you said, this thing really hit uh, me at a uh, an odd time as well. This is one of the... I, I loved it when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not see it in the theater. I saw it, I believe, on video. Uh, but um, it, this is one of the first movies that I can actively think of that I enjoyed and wanted to watch more than one time that did not have uh, monsters in it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, big big credit uh, for that. But it has uh, it has some horrific elements, though. It does. It does have some horrific elements, which is but, is weird. It's uh, but we're, yeah, and, and maybe that's why. Maybe that it, maybe there was a certain crossover uh, sort of appeal going on to it. Well, I think that uh, my that brother, hit. yeah, my brother and I think I think we fell in love with it too because it has a certain Indiana Jones quality to it as well. Absolutely, it does. Uh, Absolutely, because Indiana Jones, even though it's an, a film about archaeology, it's very much a swashbuckling type of genre. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, but I mean, all of that, all of that goes back to you know the the classic pulp stories. Mm-hmm, you know, th- mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what this is. It's a classic pulp jungle adventure sort of thing. Yeah. And yes, it's it's clearly influenced by Indiana Jones. I think in um, not only origin but in pro- uh, production design. Yeah, uh, because I think that there's you know, th- th- dude, there's a lot of value uh, on screen in this thing. Oh God, yeah. That, that's something we'll talk about here shortly. And also, I think the Captain Bully Hayes character is very much the charming rogue character that Harrison Ford yeah. so much yeah, encapsulates, yeah, yeah. right? And this is uh, Tommy Lee Jones doing that, which he is maybe not as well known as the uh, charming rogue. But if you go back and look at some of his performances, especially in his middle years and his younger years, he had a very... There was there was this charm there. There's this uh, kind of yes. danger underneath the... But not... You know, not always like just just charming enough. Maybe not as good looking as Harrison Ford as an actor, but certainly there's this kind of machismo, this kind of sexuality there. Yeah, uh, at yeah, least yeah. at least for me. I don't I don't know what that says about me, but whatever. He 
course, I love Tommy Lee Jones anyway. I love his line deliveries. He's, he's got some of the best line deliveries in uh, cinema history, the way he talks. Yep. Yep. And this one, he's fun, too. He's like, hey, what are you doing there, Peas? What's going on? <laughs> ben Peas. <laughs> he knows just how to drag it out. And he looks good in a pair of white uh, white pants. That is no small feat. Okay? No. It takes a lot to look good in white pants. Dude, because they are dirty from the get-go. Yep. They never look 100% white, and especially in this movie, they yeah. never look 100% white. Yeah, so we don't really cover the swashbuckler genre much, uh, pirate no. films and stuff, but when I was a kid, I really loved uh, that stuff. I loved the idea of a group of guys on a ship, uh, you know, uh, living their own life. Laws did not matter. Uh, I was a big fan of uh, The Black Swan, which was a, it's a Tyrone Power film. It's got John Carradine in it as well. Um, and of course, some of the other pirate films, uh, even including the one we've covered on the show, as cheesy as it is, the pirate movie. <laughs> but you know, the Pirates of Penzance, obviously, and puffing and blowing. Yeah, and all these, you know, the I, I think what I liked about the pirate genre, and what I continue to like about the pirate genre, is that you know, on the open sea, uh, a lot of civility goes right back to the basic, you know kill or be killed type cinnamon you know the cinnamon is there survival mm-hmm. of the fittest it's it's a very good story driver as a matter of fact I, when i think about it now i think about that movie i just watched with tom hanks uh, even though that's not pirates that's german subs and uh, american military but it certainly has a very pirate feel out on the open water like that mm-hmm. and i think that just kind of comes naturally with being out on the open ocean where laws tend to be you know, I mean, obviously, it's just, it's hard to enforce things out there. You know, you're really out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Uh, sometimes, for lack of a better word, I mean, you are <laughs> you are in the middle of nothing. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's not just it's not just kill or be killed. It's a it's a lot about survival itself. Yeah. You know, because you have nothing else to rely on but your wits and what you have yeah. on, on the ship. So this movie's kind of fun. Uh, Ferdinand Fairfax directed a few things. I, I think I may have seen another film he did. Uh, maybe. Seems like I did. Seems like he did something else where he did a couple of American films where he uh, kind of big budget type deals. Uh, uh, nothing that I've seen. I, like I know he did a lot of TV time. work. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like there was another one around this time, but I might have been wrong. Savage Islands. Oh, The Rescue. That's right. That's the other one he did that I saw. The uh, Kevin Dillon. The kids go to rescue the parents. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wasn't... Why am I thinking of Toy Soldiers? No, well, that's another Kevin Dillon gem. <laughs> Ain't it? Okay, that would be... Yeah. No, is it? I don't or is know. The Rescue, they, uh, they go to save their dads in North Korea. Navy SEALs, but the kids go to save the dads. So kind of Toy Soldier-esque in a weird way. Uh, but that, that that was one that was on cable quite a bit too. So I don't think it's like eighty five. So it was like right after this. But yeah, you're right. Mostly uh, TV stuff. But he shows a pretty deft hand uh, to use the word deft again uh, on the show. I think he used it last review at at, uh, at making a pirate film here. I think this thing starts out with a bang and it never really lets up. I think it moves along at just the right pace. That's one of the things I loved about this movie yeah. as a kid. Yep, yep, yep. And it's one of the ones things I loved about watching it again. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun in that way. It just kind of keeps moving. Also, I think the Ben Pease character himself, Max Phipps, I think Ben Pease is great. Like, I love the Ben Pease yeah. character. <laughs> I love how shitty he is, how gross he is. 
he oh, eats. Oh, he's fucking so gross. Yeah, he eats Dude, kiwi. When, he's, when he's squeezing that kiwi into his mouth, <laughs> oh. Oh, oh. Yeah, I just wanted to punch him in the I mouth. I puked in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And he's a lot of fun in the movie. It's Australian actor Max Phipps, um, yeah. who I've seen in a few things. He's got a very memorable Probably face. best known for uh, Road Warrior he was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in Road Warrior. Uh, didn't he play the character with one eye, I think, in that or something? Uh, or the character? Uh, I, can't remember which, I can't remember which character yeah. he played in Road Warrior. but He was, um, it's, oh, fuck. Uh, I know he's a memorable character in the movie, but I can't remember what he played. I don't um, think he had a name or anything like that. No, but I think you remember his look. Yeah, and yeah, I just, yeah. I can't. You, once you see him, you'll definitely recognize him from being from that. But yeah, but it's not coming to me right this second. The it's to- way too fucking the early. The Toady is what he played, which I think is the character that... In, it's not the character that... Maybe it's the character that introduces Humongous? Maybe it's not? No. no I think it's somebody else. Because that's the guy that tries to catch the boomerang and loses his fingers. But Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I always think of, you know... Mel Gibson and Roadway. You go back and listen to that review and hear my review in her pers- uh, uh, impersonation of uh, Gibson's moment in that film, which I love. Two days ago, I saw a truck that hauled that tanker. <laughs> Come well to me. Done. Yeah. Yeah. You guys say, you guys say tanker? Tanker? Tanker. Tanker. <laughs> yeah. But he was in Thirst, which is also an Australian film, which I think I wasn't on that review, but I think we've covered on the show. And uh, a few other things. Uh, you've probably seen him in. Uh, several, uh, I would say, uh, Australian films. It looks mm-hmm. like he's done a lot of work. Is he still around? Is he still working? Or is he? Uh, no, he passed away two thousand. Wow. You know what? He was the guy who who lost his fingers. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he was. I thought he was. So how yeah, about yeah, that? yeah. My memory's not as bad as I thought it was. How about that? How about that? Mine's horrible. <laughs> it's okay. We'll take turns on that. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I had a lot of fun watching this movie again. I think one of the keys to this movie is uh, the camaraderie between O'Keefe and Lee Jones uh, yeah. is 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 there. But one of the weird things about going back and watching this time is there are moments when Michael O'Keefe, there are some cringeworthy acting moments. He is, yeah, of the two, he certainly, um, he certainly is the lesser. Yes. You can't quite match um, Tommy Lee Jones' acting no. chops, but uh, he does. You know, O'Keefe does stick up the ass very well. Yes, uh, which is you know kind of amusing, considering his uh, his Caddyshack background. Yes, the the moment that I struggle with still to this day is the bully haze. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that moment, and then there's a couple other weird like eye rolling moments that you know come straight out of Caddyshack, well, but I, actually. Yeah, but it, it, it's all because you, you also got to bear in mind that this movie is very much overblown yes. uh, for effect. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, it's not uh, meant to be taken in any sort of realistic way whatsoever. No. I think the thing that uh, we were going to talk about probably between the two of us that I think is most memorable of this movie, and I'd be surprised if you don't think this as well, I think the production design on this film is pretty amazing. Oh my God! It really is. There's, dude. There's, uh, yeah. Every this movie feels, uh, it feels fairly uh, majestic. I think, for one of a better term, um, like they do that. They do the 
there's the bridge drop gag, right? Yes. Uh, which was either just before or just after Temple of Doom. Uh, we get here, um, th- uh, and there's just th- yeah, there's there's a there's a scale uh, on this thing that's really impressive, um, and especially since you know, I mean, this movie is so under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really wouldn't expect it to be um, as solid visually uh, as it uh, as it is. Yeah, I think that's what I, you know. Even going back and watching it this time, I can tell you that the first thing that started coming to mind was the set pieces and some of the production design. And yeah, it came back immediately when I started watching it, and then as the film played out, it was really pleasant to yeah. see it well, kind of play out because. I was amazed at what they were able to pull off. Uh, well, just look at—I mean, just you get that volcano set. You get the uh, the mm-hmm. set with the uh, the cannibals or whatever at the very beginning. Uh, you get that that the, just the the ships themselves uh, and how they're used uh, are just—they look amazing. And yes. then that um, the giant metal uh, warship that the Germans have—it's uh, just—it's it, dude. What's on screen is is simply—it's really jaw dropping yeah. in a lot of ways. I, and they and they use it well too, right? I mean, they yeah, I mean, that, yeah, yeah. that big German ship, that steel monstrosity, they call it. <laughs> uh, it doesn't move a lot, but uh, they do really well with the showing the gentleman who has to turn the gun yep. uh, and how laborious that is, and then showing yep. well, but it, it pays off. Yes, it all pays off. It certainly does. Although I don't understand, it's so laborious, and yet at some point he just kind of leans on it and it completely goes. <laughs> Oh well, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, at the time it needed that. Yes, um, and it's a hell of a payoff that it comes around to. Um, the film itself, like I said, it, it moves along pretty good. Uh, I was reading some of the trivia, and they were talking about how it was a bit of a dud. But the reason why it was a bit of a dud, box office wise, was because they didn't really like Paramount. Just kind of dropped it. Uh, yeah. they just kind of lost faith in it. Uh, Indiana Jones, you got to remember that was their character and that was their moneymaker. Um, some of the, the bits in this actually show up in temple of doom. And this came out before that, the rope bridge, uh, infamously in, uh, temple of doom. Uh, there's a rope bridge moment in this, which is a pretty crazy stunt, by the way, I got to say, whoever that stunt man was bravo to you. Hell yeah. Fuck that rope bridge. <laughs> I wouldn't even know if get I, me on I, it. I wouldn't get me on it either. Um, there's a lot of just kind of, like I said, there's these horrific elements. There's, it, it's weird. It, it, I think one of the reasons why me and my brother liked it so much is because even though my mom and dad were not really big on censoring what we watched, uh, I'll fully admit that they would occasionally, and I'm not saying this in a mocking way or something, but I'm maybe in a way I am, they would occasionally try to be parents and say, well, you don't need to watch that. There's, you know, too much nudity in that. Or there's too much violence, you know. Uh, but then we would have these kind of sweet spot movies, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which has got violence in it, Temple of Doom, obviously. This has got blood and gore in it. And uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty it's pretty violent for what it is. And yep. uh, it's fun in that way. But there's, you know, shrunken heads. There's beheadings. Yeah. Yep. There's... Uh, you know, gunshots. There's uh, somebody getting crushed. Yep, yep. There's weird moments where you think King Kong is going to come out of the jungle. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, dude, absolutely. <laughs> that I mean, there's 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 um there's a uh, a barrel full of heads. Yes, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. Actually, that that standoff between him and Ben Pease and the town. That's like amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Are we going, Ben? <laughs> bully. <laughs> you wouldn't want to do that now, would you, bully? <laughs> but it's it, there's a lot of moments. Um, yeah, you sound like a very sad, bitter old lady, Ben. That's what I think Bully Hayes says at one point. Uh, my favorite line of dialogue in the movie, of course, is, and how can it not be, Peasman, what bring happy me good now? <laughs> that reminds me of the fucking, uh, oh, what the hell was it? Uh, what was the the breakfast cereal that had the uh, the 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 like uh, Polynesian cartoon? Uh, he would go Ayama Yama. Oh man, I can't. Do you remember, remember that? Yes, I do remember it, but I can't remember. What is this? God? What is? Oh that? man, <laughs> it's fucking killing me. But that, that yeah, that reminded me of this. You might have to Google that. Or this reminded me of that. <laughs> but I, I love the also that chieftain. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, pa- Palapi, Poppy, Palapi, or some Panapi. Panapi's his name. Panapi's that yeah. big chief, that big. Well, no, that's chief. where they. That's where they went. With oh, okay. Panopi. Okay, Panapi's where they went, and he was the chief yeah. there. His yes. dock style throne is amazing. It's another amazing piece of set design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, again, that's what I think this genre was good for. Was you know, I think of King Solomon's Mines. I think of this. Uh, Sky Pirates is one. There's a. Uh, there's a few other films in this era where, you know, this is before CG, so they had to build these sets. And, uh, you know, some some were amazing, some were not. But uh, this one, I mean, it's hard for me not to give the MVT for this film. And I'm playing my hands here a little bit by saying this because I, I love Tommy Lee Jones in this movie so much. Like, he has a swashbuckler, roguish charm that is undeniable. But as I'm sitting here reviewing it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't change my mind and give the MVT to the production designer. I'm trying to look up for it right now because it's a pretty amazing piece of uh, production design. I can't believe it. Ah, yeah, it is. Production design was Maurice Kane. Yeah, and it's amazing. Uh, The music's by Trevor Jones, which is is kind of fun, swashbuckling, swashbuckling, bushling uh, Mm -hmm. music. He would go on to do, uh, I believe, Last Mohicans with uh, Michael Mann, which is a very memorable uh, score and some other things. Uh, Dark City, he also did mm-hmm. with, uh, and he's done some pretty big films, really. Um, yeah, man, this I, I don't know how else to describe this movie other than like it, it was like a guilty pleasure, just fun film that me and my brother would watch over and over and over again. I don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen it. Um, I started to wonder though on this revisit because it's been multiple years since I've seen it now. I wondered, you know, if I go back and look at it with a critical eye, if if I would have problems with it. And there are a few things. Mostly it's acting involved. I think, uh, I don't think the female lead's very interesting. Uh, uh, well, I think that, you know, she's uh, she's played by Jenny Seagrove. Um, she's she's the damsel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I what I found uh, for me is that I, she's actually fairly well-rounded. You know, she's she's constrained by certain you know values of the time, right? But uh, she's got you know she they give her some spunk, right? You know, she she does take action in the movie, uh, and she uh, she makes um, she makes some business moves unbeknownst to uh, her fiance Michael O'Keefe. But the weird thing is that the way that they kind of play um, how it's weird because they they give her this sort of um, I, I don't know agency for want of a better term, but at the same time, uh, her ultimate ending is going to be reliant on 
the decision of uh, of Nate and Hayes, the mm-hmm. decisions of Nate yep. Hayes, like they're going to decide, you know, who gets her rather than her being like, well, who says I want either one of you? Yeah. Um, which I think would have been a little more interesting, a little more. But I mean, that's also part of this, and that's part of the time, and it's part of the time that the movie is set. So I guess you know, in certain ways, it it, it plays to that. It, it's it feels true to that. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could say up to a certain point. It's interesting. The actor who played the count, uh, Grant Tilly, you know, one of his last films, he was the old guy in 30 days of night, which we covered not too long ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to me to see that. And you know, it, that, cause I never would have put those two together. Like talk about two no. different type of performances. And he's kind of fun too, is this kind of stick up the ass, uh, German character. Oh yeah. Yeah. Similar to, uh, Michael O'Keefe's, uh, 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 Nate character. He's very much mm-hmm. the bad guy version of that. And it, he's wearing all white. He, you know, everything, everybody's savage, but he, he needs these people to, uh, kind of get his, uh, his task done. And yet he's yep. offended by them completely. Yep. And yep. then he wants to show off this piece of German engineering. He's so proud of, and he's, he's, he's just kind of a fun character. And the way he kind of goes out of the film is fun too. <laughs> uh, huh. um, yeah, there's pretty good sword fights uh, in the movie. There's yeah, there are. Pretty good there's moments. There's a lot of buckles that get swashed. Yeah, a lot of swashed and a lot of buckling. Uh, and the love triangle is is pretty fun. Um, it's just, I tell you what, it's just for me, it's the it's the weirdness of the 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 kind of horrific nature kind of mixed in. It's just I, I love this era because this is an era, obviously, me and you both grew up in, and Will as well. He would have been younger, but. We grew up in this era where I think they didn't downplay violence to kids. I I, I don't think it was overtly violent, but the violence was there. And I think there was that really nice mix. I think Joe Dante did it really well. I think Spielberg did it really well. Um, You know, they would give us just enough violence to kind of satiate our appetites for horror and special effects and stuff. And I think this film falls in that realm of... Mm -hmm you know, those kind of fun action special effects movies that, uh, we loved as kids. And, uh, I was kind of, well, if Will was going to be on the show this week, I was kind of hoping that, you know, he probably watched this with his kids. Cause I'd, I'd bet that his kids would probably like this movie. Uh, I, I think they absolutely would. I'd be surprised if they didn't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, be honest with you. Cause it's just kind of, you know, just a good time. It's just adventure heroes being heroes. And I think if, if this movie would have been a hit, I think uh, Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones, might have had a uh, franchise on his hand for at least for a little while. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, maybe at least another film. I know that the Bully Hayes character has been uh, played before in a film from the fifties, uh, because uh, the Bully Hayes is it's it's uh, based on uh, uh, I don't know what his name was, Henry Hayes, maybe that might be it. Okay. Uh, South Pacific kind of a uh, pirate, famous uh, pirate. I believe he was killed in the South Pacific or something. I, I don't know. I, again, my pirate lore isn't what it used to be, but uh, right. I believe he's based on that. So, uh, you know, it, it would have been fun to kind of get some more as uh, because uh, to me, this is kind of the birth of the Tommy Lee Jones kind of broguish, uh, smart assery type character that he would go on to make a film career out of. Uh, yeah, you know. Think he he did this early in his career, but I think to me this is when you know that Tommy Lee Jones kind of came out. I, I I'm looking back at his filmography right now. Uh, obviously, 
and looking through here and yeah this would have been the one and this is pretty early in his filmography really if you go back and look uh, you know he'd done coal miner's daughter which he was really good in and a few other things but this was uh yeah early in his career and he uh he nailed it man savage islands is that what it was also known as yes yeah yeah which is a weird title i think nate, <laughs> nate and hayes is so much better yeah it is it really is the, the, than uh, savage islands but um yeah he would go on to kind of milk this career of uh being this kind of smart aleck kind of older man kind of uh dashing rogue type character and it's interesting yep, to and him he does and, it extremely well yeah and it's interesting that him and harrison ford would work together uh so memorably and uh, the fugitive which i still think yeah, pound yeah, yeah. for pound i still think is one of the best of the action movies from the uh the 90s i really do i really think that's a i think it's a very well-paced and well-made action film yeah yeah no it is uh, but yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add, man. I, I had a really good time revisiting. I was scared. I'm always scared when I go back and see something I have fond memories of. Well, I was a little nervous throwing this one out there. Yeah. Uh, but I also, it, this is one of those ones that I've, I've wanted to cover for the longest time just because I wanted to rewatch it myself. Uh, the problem was a finding it because mm-hmm. it is bizarrely, extremely difficult to find. Yeah. It's like Paramount's ashamed um, of it or something. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I was just like, you know, I don't, I didn't know how uh, how you guys were going to take it because uh, being what it is, Swashbuckler's mm-hmm. not really being our uh, our meat and potatoes, so yep. to speak. Yep. Uh, so are, are you all you're all done? Yep. We should say the okay. uh, the print on Prime looks really nice. Yeah, it does. It does. You can get it on uh, on Prime in America. Um, yeah, we found that out in America. Yes, that's that's kind of. I mean, that was kind of the impetus for me to to, to pick it because I was just like, I want to get this in because I want to get this you know watched, but I also want to get it in before or if anybody else uh, jumps on it and kind of yes, yes. takes the takes the air out of the balloon, so to speak, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. me. Um, so yeah, uh, so the swashbuckler, you know, post nineteen forties ish, has always been a bit dicey. I think that this one, you know, plays it all up right. Uh, and right from uh, Jump Street, uh, uh, you know, one of the first images that we see in the movies, uh, a peg leg with a skull for the kneecap, uh, which is just, it looks great. You know what I like about that moment the most, though, is that Tommy Lee Jones, it's like he's looking at it and kind of smiling about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, his crew is that, you know, they're all classic pirate characters. They're ragtag. They're, uh, they're multi-ethnic. Or, well, I mean, there's an Asian and at least one Cockney, so in that way they're multi-ethnic. Yeah. Uh, they're dirty, but they're loyal. Uh, so, yes. they're, you know, they're just they're that bunch of rogues uh, that, uh, that are together. They're a team. They're a brotherhood, uh, and that runs through the film. Um, I would not say that the film is particularly culturally sensitive. Um, no. You know, the natives are cannibals, uh, the, though they also have gender equality, apparently, at the beginning there, the, <laughs> yes. the cannibals at the beginning. Yes. Um, but I also, I would not go so far as calling the movie offensive, deliberately or not. Um, I, in fact, I think it has uh, scenes like, um, there's a scene with an auction, that have impact outside of its use for the plot. Uh, so I think that, you know, that the film is aware of, you know, some of these uh, sensitivities uh, and it doesn't really, it, it, I don't find it offensive uh, at all, particularly for those of you who are a little more sensitive towards that sort of thing. Um, 
yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, he, does, he really does that, that that Devil May Care thing extremely well. Uh, he gives his absolute all here, as much as he ever did in any other film. Um, and he brings uh, all of his uh, considerable charm uh, to the to the film. And uh, O'Keefe, I think, um, provides a solid contrast. Uh, and I think that the two together are very engaging uh, on screen. Um, yeah. You know, obviously with the with the the caveat that yes, O'Keefe is kind of a notch below, or maybe even a notch and a half below uh, Jones's uh, level of mm-hmm. uh, thespianism. Um, I got to ask, did you notice that uh, in the beginning of the movie, there's the uh, the hangman? I, for the love of God, I thought that it was Victor Buono uh, playing him. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be because you, dude, if you got Victor Buono in a movie, number one, he would have been too old for this. And number two, uh, <laughs> they would have had to have given him a line. Yes. Um, but the guy looks exactly like Victor Buono. He does. Um, actually it's funny. It's the second film I watched this week with, a, a mint, uh, you know, an assassin's hood, the mentors being a band that played like <laughs> yeah, that. Right? Yeah. What are the odds? Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, the Hayes character—he's not really a nice guy per se, but he's less evil than he is like avaricious, uh, which you could argue is kind of split in hairs. But you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the film's villains, though, are outright bad and murderous and actual slavers. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Hayes's misdeeds are kind of forgivable or at least overlookable in that sense. I mean, you know, uh, Pease hooks up with the with Germans, right? And we all know what Germans. Uh, you know the the outlook on Germans, uh, yeah. particularly at this point in time, yeah, uh, in in cinema, what at they, the, at yeah, very least. what they represent in cinema. You're right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, the movie is told in flashbacks for the most part, and I think that it does a nice job uh, bringing everything around, throwing a few twists at us, nice. uh, and finishing <laughs> off nicely. Yeah. Um, there is some some really impressive imagery, you know, outside of what we were talking about with the uh, the production uh, design. For example, there's the scene uh, of uh, Nate standing on a reef in the middle of the ocean, uh, and just technically, uh, the the skill on display here is uh, is really really impressive. Um, it looks great, uh, and uh, you know, I, I got to say, it made me want to go on vacation. Um, yes. because I haven't been to the beach and I don't know how long. Yes. The, you know, uh, I couldn't tell you. You know, what's funny is there's also, there's a dummy death in this. Off yes, the bridge. yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's also that great dummy mannequin moment on the, the getaway, which is yeah. just, it's so ludicrous. And yet you buy it, <laughs> you buy it anyway. It's like such an old school, like cowboy switch type stunt. But yep. it's, it's, it's so funny to watch those mannequins <laughs> knock up against each other and not move at all. Uh, coming down that rope and hearing Tommy Lee Jones going, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably your best Tommy Lee Jones impression. That was a pretty good one. Yes. That was all right. <laughs> um, so, uh, I went over that. You went over that. Uh, Michael O'Keefe, when he's got the bandana on his head, looks like Leaf Garrett. Uh, uh yeah. just throwing that one out there. Yeah, he does. Poor guy. Uh, I, I like that the, uh, the film doesn't really waste much time on misunderstanding or animosity between Nate, the Nate and Hayes characters. Um, you would expect a little more. I mean, they, they come to terms pretty swiftly uh, after the initial uh, after the initial dust up uh, and misunderstanding between the two of them. Uh, the movie itself is pretty lean and fast. I mean, like you said, it just keeps chugging along. It's only ninety nine minutes long. 
Yeah. Uh, so it really, I mean, it gets to the point, uh, and it just keeps moving, 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 yeah. moving. It jumps from set piece um, to set piece really well, and I think that's you know. So our last movie was only three minutes longer than this. Yeah, but and felt longer than yeah, this does because it's much more slower pace, but it it doesn't move like this one does. This one's much more, I don't know, action oriented. Yeah, it just it really flows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, uh, I guess this week uh, I was the one who picked the movie with prostitutes in it. Yeah, there you uh, go. There so you go. yeah. Has to be a little, little bit of Will Thunder. Yeah. Got to well, keep him alive in spirit. Between the three of us, I think it's unavoidable. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I don't know why, but it is. Not, every movie has to have at least one. Every week has to have at least one uh, prostitute. It seems like we always find a way. I'm not sure. The Climber might have had some prostitution. I'm pretty sure it did, as a matter of fact. Uh, oh, I'm sure it did. And we probably just didn't even pay any attention to it because it was a crime yeah. film. We were just like, oh, yeah, we're just, of course, going to have that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Pirate films are also uh, ripe for prostitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we get some uh, some some hookers in there. <laughs> yeah, that has a good payoff too. Uh, that great moment with the the older captain. That uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First, he's looking for the post office. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty brilliant. Uh, up in the stakes with the uh, the German warship. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it does it does kind of you know if you haven't seen the. Uh, the movie before the way that it's it's portrayed uh it just is a nice little ratcheting up uh and it you know, it brings into focus you know this uh, this underdog uh sort of uh, struggle that we love so much in american cinema and, and generally in action cinema in general yeah. uh so it does that very very nicely um we do get some vulture fog uh when they get to panopi oh yeah so you know there's a little bit of that in there for you yeah. it's suitably uh suitably theatrical yeah uh like that's so much good. of yeah. the other movies i'm surprised i didn't bring that up and you brought that up but yeah no that's kind of a shameful moment for me that i didn't bring up the fulci fog it's it's prevalent tisk tisk oh yes. yeah yeah it really is it really is um i think that the uh, the finale is suitably big intense and satisfying it's got a volcano sacrifice it's got a daring rescue uh, it's got some full-blown naval combat. It's got some sword play. I mean, it really, it just goes a hundred percent for it. Uh, and you know, by and large, it, it sticks the landing pretty good, pretty yeah, hard. I agree. Uh, it, it does have some, it does have some, um, some, some notches against it, uh, which I think are more just, in tone, maybe some tonal missteps here, or there, uh, you know, throughout. Uh, but they're never enough to uh, to throw you completely off the movie. Uh, and I think that by and large, you know, I'm I'm very happy that this thing still works for me as well as it does. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean that that's pretty much all I got. We've covered pretty much everything else. It is it's classic uh, classic swashbuckler. Yeah, uh, and it uh, it really does the job very very well. If it you like uh, if you like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I find very little reason that you wouldn't like this. Yeah, I aside agree. from it being more ocean oriented. Yeah, I'd say this is as, as you know. I like King Solomon's Mines, but it's kind of ridiculous in some ways. As a matter of fact, I think even at one point in King Solomon's Mines, that's the uh, what's his name uh, Perry. I can't remember his name. That actor. What's that actor's name? Uh, Perry King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's him in King Solomon's Mines, right? 
I thought it was Richard Chamberlain. It is Richard Chamberlain. My bad. Sorry. I get those two confused. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, that I can kind of see. They're, yeah, they're yeah. similar. They have some similarities, yes. But I think in that movie, you actually they actually end up being almost cooked in a big pot with vegetables, which is straight yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight, straight out, out of, out of Looney Hulk's Tunes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that seemed to be, like when we were kids, that seemed to be the, the joke you made about cannibals. Because, you know, yep. you were in a pot and somebody was cutting vegetables. Yep, yep, trying to get the the flavoring right. And it seems to me like, you know, if you're going to cook somebody, you know, if you're going to cook a human being, that'd be the grossest way to eat the human being is boiled in a stew with all the organs and excrement and everything else that's still in there. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Uh, You better put a lot of veggies in there. Uh, (laughs) You're going to get some weird taste. Um, But, you know, there's these moments. Yeah, man, Perry King and Richard Chamberlain, I just looked that up. They look a lot alike. Wow. Yeah, they do. They really do. (laughs) Wow. No wonder. No wonder I got those two confused. Oh man, Wilford Brimley died. Yes, yeah. Just came across my phone here. Ah, that sucks. Eighty-five years of age though. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good run, considering he's mm-hmm. been you know he's been ill for years. I mean he's had diabetes uh, bad for years, so he had a hell of a run. What a what a what a voice and what a mustache. What a character actor. Um. Anyway. Uh. Okay. He did a great. Uh, Creole or a Cajun accent, as we all know. Oh yes, yes. I can name about ninety br- brilliant performances from Wilford Brimley. <laughs> 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 Pretty much anything he ever did, I always thought he was good at. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, let's get into. Is that all you got? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah man. Let's get into make or breaks MVTs. I'm gonna go with the barrel scene, the kind of showdown, the standoff, so to speak, very western. Okay. Hell. Uh, but I like that moment. I think the tension that's built up, that's a hell of a barrel roll, by the way, by Ben Peace. Yeah. Yeah, you wanna? You gotta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a hell of a barrel roll, though. And like, very convenient that it hits uh, a pole just in time to for the heads to roll. Yep. Uh, to, but, you know, it's one of those movie moments that you can't, you know, resist. It's just so much fun. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go, even though I talked about the production design, how amazing it is. Uh, I'm going to go with Tommy Lee Jones, uh, because I think he's just so charming in this. It's hard not to love his character. Uh, he is just wonderfully, I don't, I, I can't, I don't even know what the word to describe, to describe him is, but he, he puts a smile on your face a lot in this movie. Yeah. 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 Um, he just, he's just great. I guess it would be charming, right? I mean, yeah. it's just the only word for it. I mean, that's the only word I can think of for it. I mean, I just sure, think it's sure. just one of those most, you know, I, I think that take it or leave it, you know, I know he's, his politics can be a bit, you know, I know he's gotten in the news for that in the past and he can be a bit of a curmudgeon in real life as well. But he, uh, I mean, the camera loves him and his oh, yeah. line delivery. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, me and Todd were talking about, it. I don't know if we talked about it on the air or off the air, but he seems to be an actor who kind of just fell into this by accident yeah <laughs> and yeah. has made a career out of it and then and at some points he just can't be bothered with the stupidity of being a movie actor <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's he loves it but he don't love it <laughs> well he became disenchanted but he still likes the paycheck yeah sure it's a great way to make a living if you can do it yeah 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 you get paid a lot of money to work very little yeah um my score for the movie i'm gonna go 7.5 Mm. I like this movie a lot. Okay. I've always liked it. Uh, I still like it. I think it's a great time. I actually told my brother we uh, we were watching it for the show, and he was kind of laughing. He's like, "Man, I haven't seen that in forever." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> no, we need you need to watch it again." I said, "It still it still holds up really well." 
nice. yeah, it's great, man. Uh, I'd recommend people check this one out for sure. I'll kick it over to you. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, okay. Uh, make or break. I am going to go with the opening scene uh, with the cannibals and the arms deal there. Um, because I think that, number one, it really does let us uh, – it puts on full display the uh, the full scale of the, the production design, what we're in for. Uh, and it telegraphs pretty much everything about the movie uh, very openly. It lets you know uh, exactly what's, uh, what's coming uh, and sets the tone very, 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 very nicely. Uh, so there's that. MVT, I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit on this one. Um I'm going to go with the uh, the commitment that uh, the filmmakers made uh, to keeping the film uh, fun and true to its roots, because that's really no small uh, no small feat. Um, but uh, they do it very nicely here, uh, and they pull it off. And uh, my score, uh, I am 100% in line with you, 7.5 uh, out of 10. Uh, yeah, I, I mean this thing. I I would. I'm sure that there are people listening right now who are thinking that. Um, our scores are based entirely on nostalgia. I would argue that they are not. No. Uh, because I think that this movie has enough of its own merits um, to uh, to garner uh, yeah. that level of a, of a score. To begin I'm with. always but, fearful of uh, reviewing a film for this uh, little goofy podcast we do and reviewing it out of nostalgia's sake. I think yes. nostalgia is, as I've often said on the show, it's a dangerous thing. But it's... Uh, yes. Because uh, you can live in the past and get kind of hung up in it and stuff. And for some people, that warm, fuzzy feeling is great. But for me, it's kind of detrimental to moving forward. So it's, a, yeah, it's a, yeah. you know, I, I going into it, reviewing it, I was worried that I would find some, you know, nostalgic reason to argue that it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, to give it a pass that it didn't yeah. deserve. But, right. yeah, and again, again, I'm a mark for this genre and I'm a mark for this kind of movie. But at the same time, I think this movie still holds up very well. Oh, absolutely! I I totally agree with you on that. And would, and yeah, I mean, I I still just it, it is unfathomable to me that this thing just doesn't. It's just it's it's so unknown. You never hear anybody yeah, talk about this, yeah. even when they talk about Tommy Lee Jones. I would be they amazed. Never if, bring this up. I'd be amazed if King Solomon's Mines holds up as well as this. <laughs> that I would be very <laughs> impressed if it did. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to check it out at some point. Might have to. All right, so that is the big show this week. Next week mm-hmm. we are we are diabolican. We are doing Indeed some we are. diabolic DVD. It was your turn to program. Uh, we but we have an interesting way of programming this week. Uh, so I'm just going to be kind forthright. Of a twofer. Yeah, kind of a twofer. Uh, Todd uh, decided to uh, program uh, American Rickshaw, uh, which is getting a Blu-ray release from Cauldron Films, and we thought that's interesting. First of all, you know, Sergio Martino, American Rickshaw, can't go wrong. We'll do that. And he picked another film, which I won't mention right now. Uh, we might review Future State because I definitely would like to review it. But mm-hmm. the gentleman that we work with at Diabolic, uh, Jesse, uh, reached back out to me and said, hey, you guys wouldn't mind uh, covering Abracadabra as well, which is kind of a newer Neo Giallo. Yeah, uh, and 2018. The re- yeah, I believe it was. We, and we we were. I was kind of curious as to why, and then come to find out that Cauldron Films is actually our good friend Jesse at Diabolic Films or Diabolic DVD. It's his personal label. Uh, yeah, films yep. he's trying to put out. So he asked us if we wouldn't mind uh, covering that as well. And uh, you know, we he's been working with us for several years now, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I got sure. with Todd and. 
So we, we sacrificed one of Todd's picks for this, and we're going to do Abracadabra and uh, American Rickshaw. So Todd didn't get past the A's in the uh, – <laughs> no, uh-huh. You did, actually. It was just saying, I just think it's funny. Sometimes I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll look at the stuff we uh, cover from Dybok, and I think some, uh, I'm pretty sure there's been times where we, Will or me have picked stuff that's like it's alphabetical order or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, these two. I like these two. Because you don't want to go through all that looking, you know. Sometimes it gets to be over it overwhelming to kind of pick something. Sometimes, oh yeah. Um, yeah. But that's what we're doing, so it should be fun. A return of Sergio Martino to the show, uh, and uh, Abracadabra, which I've never seen, and uh, Todd I know has seen it since then, but but obviously he had never seen it either. So we'll talk about those right. next week, and that should be fun. It's always fun to see these new modern filmmakers take on genres from the past and kind of see if they they uh fall down or if they uh manage to hit it right on the head i don't know mm-hmm. you do but we'll save it for mm-hmm. next week uh i don't have anything else to add hopefully uh will's gotten uh, cleaned up from that hot dog eating contest because mm-hmm. that yeah. could have been hopefully mushy. they didn't uh they didn't all taste like um a bag full of pennies hope he didn't use any of that brown spicy mustard that's kind of tricky yeah little, especially with the way that they're chewing them a little yeah. horse a little horseradish in there yeah that can be. Ooh, you don't want horsey down there. Ooh, man, that'll wake you up. Yikes! <laughs> wake you up, Jesus. Uh, so yeah, nothing else to add. I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com, and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.